Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lowry. As usual, we are brought to you by Artesian Wellness and Recovery Centers. They are a new style recovery in Florida, which is why the only reason I would be reading them on my podcast is they are actually going against the Florida model for recovery. Uh, they're an intensive outpatient setting, but they do a completely holistic treatment. Basically, they're the ones getting you off of all the synthetic stuff that they sent you there on. So after you detox in Florida, which is still law, unfortunately, you go to my friends at Artesian Wellness and Recovery. Uh, ask for Eric or Brooke when you get out there or Dr. Joan Collins. That's who's the founder of this whole idea. Uh, it's not really an idea. Imagine treating you holistically, but they wean you off of all the synthetic medications with amino acids, and they do all kinds of exterior uh, and nervous system remedies like acup acupuncture, massage work, cranial therapy, biofeedback, neurofeedback, uh, as well as working the physical with exercise uh, and teaching the nutritional side. But Trust me when I tell you, look, the only place I would ever, 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 ever send somebody to do intensive outpatient is Artesian Wellness and Recovery in Stewart, Florida. Definitely look them up. Um, I told you again, they're good friends of mine, but like I said, they're in Stewart. You can just call them directly, 772-320-1555. Tell them Adam Lowry from the Cognitive Rampage sent you and you're trying to make a change in your life. I promise you, Eric and Brooke Kimmer will definitely help you make that change and by the way, check out Eric Kimmer. He was just on the podcast too, man. Great motivational story. So you even know the people you're going to go down there and work with. But um, if you don't want to call and you're just kind of interested, go to artesianrecovery.com. That's A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N recovery.com. We're also brought to you by Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida. That is my friend, Dr. Parker Mott and associates uh, and that is counselingcfl.com he's based in winter garden florida all my old friends over there on the west orange county side of town shout outs to you guys love you miss you guys but uh for those of you that are really going through something look i i urge you and everybody else out there it's not strength when you just hold it inside that there's people out there that give a shit that care and sometimes just venting is the way to go and, you know, counseling and psychological services allow you to do that without doing an inpatient setting, without doing intensive outpatient, uh, but all kinds of services. It's an actual psychologist. Um, so check them out, man. It's my friend, Dr. Parker Mott over at Counseling, Psycholo counseling Psychological Services of Central Florida, and that's counselingcfl.com. We are also brought to you or powered by onit.com. Com. If you would, please go to adamlowry.com or cognitiverampage.com. Find the Onnit logo. Click on that. That way you get Cognitive Rampage discounts, first order discounts, and everything else. Um, look, I talk about Onnit all the time. They are a total human optimization website. And what that means, they offer everything for you in your life to optimize it. And whether that's the physical or whether that's just some competence or knowledge you're trying to get because they have the Onnit Academy uh, and the Onnit Fitness um, Gurus, if you will, that teach you and tell you all kinds of things from new kettlebell workouts, new nutrition, new articles. It's amazing stuff. Uh, outside of just that, they offer, they offer the fitness equipment, supplements, and food. 
I order tons of things from there every month or actually every 15 days or so. Um, my order shows up and it's a variety of things, but, um, you know, the supplement side, I take alpha brain every day, but or every time before a podcast, or if I'm going to have a long, uh, speaking day, if I'm talking all day, um, and new mood is something I take. It has some magnesium. It's a serotonin, five uh, HTP supplement. Uh, that's something that I take at night to balance off maybe the long, hard day. I've even taken new mood in the morning, uh, with my alpha brain to kind of balance me out and kind of relax me for the long day. But uh, I do an earth-grown nutrient shake every morning. Uh, that's the other thing I love about on it. Everything is earth-grown. Nothing is synthetic. You're not going to buy anything that's fake or made in a lab. It's all about total human optimization. Just go to the site, but go there through clicking on the logo on adamlowry.com. You'll be helping support the Cognitive Rampage podcast while also optimizing your life. And like I always say, if you're not on it, get on it. My guest on the podcast today is rather rare. Um, what I try to do uh, is, you know, pay favors forward and ideas and live in the moment. And when things hit me, uh, I kind of react to them. And when people hit me, I react to them even quicker. And um, a friend of mine who we talk about on the podcast, who I'll just call Truth, um, connected me and Michael Williams and put us together, thought that we had a lot in common and could talk. And so we did. And so we ended up trading texts today and spoke on the phone for about 30, 40 minutes. I don't know. We debated on the podcast, but we talked for a while and I was just moved by the way the dude talked. I mean, he has some shit to say and I was really interested. And so I'll be damned. I invited him to come over to the Cognitive Cave tonight and record. And like a champ, he said, fuck yeah. And he came over and we sat and dude, we went for like two hours and 30 minutes talking. I think my podcasts are getting longer uh, or something, but I, I really love talking to him. He's a, a powerful dude. And, you know, you'll notice at the end of the podcast that you'll hear me go up and down on my tone and being all crazy like I normally do, excited to not. And, you know, the man just stayed stellar. He stayed stoic and stellar through the whole podcast to the end, you know, barely breaking. And uh, I found it, uh, I don't know, it was it was an honor to get a chance to meet him and, and speak with him, but I guess I can call him my friend now, Michael Williams. It was nuts how we got put together for one. Yeah. Th- that that was strange. And then your your name itself, mm-hmm. I told you about when I you know when my buddy uh, I'm not sure he wants to be even put out there on a podcast like this at all. Yeah, let's not put him out there. Let's yeah. <laughs> so when the truth put me in touch with you, right? And uh, then I saw your name, and I'm like, wow. There's a an agent person that had addressed me once in life at a much rougher time in my life that shared your same name. Mm-hmm. And then we just started chatting. I mean, and we ain't, from what we know, we really don't know each other. We've never met, never really seen each other. Just put together like this. We talked what. How long we talk on the phone? I don't. I never. I never. I never look at my phone and say, oh, "I think I talked to somebody for thirty minutes." <laughs> and true. I never try to clock it because I've I've had conversations. I'm a conversationalist, man. So I mean, there has been days when when I get on the phone with somebody and and I just call them and say, "Look, I see you starting your own business. I just want to give you some insight before you get started, so you can know what obstacles are coming your way first. And I end up being on the phone with with her for like twelve hours. You just just helping, just giving away, just talking, just 
That's how you. I love that, man. You know, some people, man. I maybe that's why I was like, hey, it's good talking to you. Why don't you come to the Cognitive Cave Studio and we start recording <laughs> and we talk to each other? I think I, I usually recognize how long you talk to somebody. If I'm hanging up the phone, I'm like, that's a guy who I don't even know, never even met, as far as I'm concerned. And that was like forty fucking minutes I just spent on the phone, you know, talking about some deep shit. Right. I mean, we were in it. Yeah. And I, that's why I think I stopped the conversation too, because I was like. You want to save some of it? I did. I was like, this is too good, man. I'm like, I would like to put this on the podcast and hopefully in our random conversation, we'll walk our way back down it. But, you know, you're talking about being a conversationalist and, you know, so many people, I think, I don't know. I may just talk too much, honestly. And sometimes I find myself talking so much to people. They're looking at me. I'm like, I see it. Shut up. I get it. You know, I get it. And so many people, it's hardly and it's rare to really find somebody that really just wants to talk to talk. Well, the goal is to talk, to listen. And when you listen, then you can understand what people are going through and what they're missing in life. So anytime you start speaking on the level to where you're feeding their spiritual man, which is something that people deprive so much and it becomes so malnourished, then they always want to listen because this is the first time that they're getting a chance to really eat spiritually. Mm. And, you know, before we break down the spiritual realm there, there's something you talked about. I loved when you were talking about the kids because you work a lot with kids, right? Yes, I love kids. If, if And that's honestly, that's if you want to have a conversation with me, start off with kids. We'll do great. But <laughs> if you just talk, if you give me small talk, if you give me the weather or sports, we're not going to talk too often. Dude, I got to be honest. All right. I'm going to I'm just honest all the time now. I don't know the podcast. I just tell this shit. And honestly, according to my Facebook, people that curse on apparently are honest. So I must be worth I must be way trustworthy. <laughs> so I, I got to you know, it's so honest. I, I got a fucking problem with when I meet people or talk to someone. The first thing that they want to bring up or talk to me, they go, so uh, how are the Giants doing? All right. It's some football dry shit. Small talk. Yeah, and I barely even watch football anymore these days. I can barely even do it, and I played for a long time, and mm-hmm. I try to watch it. I want to, you know what I mean? And then there's part of me that I'm like, eh. And much less, I can't even. Even my neighbor, we haven't talked for months ever, you know, and I've lived here. And the first time I'm out out uh, outside on the side talking to him, the first thing he does, he brings up football. And I couldn't help but laugh, you know, and go, <sighs> I think I was just having a conversation with somebody about talking about football. <laughs> you know, so... But what you said about the kids when you brought up was teaching them the education system. Right. And about how a lot of kids, you referenced it a lot, how a lot of kids don't even know how to learn. Right. I, I love that notion, how first you wanted to teach them. I mean, I'll, I'll let you explain it, but that's what really started hooking me in. Well, <clears throat> um, growing up, you know, um, uh, now my education background is a bit different than most. Um, I've always, I've always been... Not to toot my own horn, but I've always been an intriguing type kid. So um, what most people would call ADD or ADHD, it was just that you have the ability to learn so fast that everybody that you get bored with everything fast. Agreed. So typically when I'm paying attention, it's intense. But for those 10 or 15 minutes that I'm paying attention, throw everything at me. Because after that, you just kind of repeating yourself. And then I can kind of go into this little trance of just doing what I wanted to. So um, when I because I'm, you know, being from Jacksonville, I grew up on the West Side. But my mom had my mom and dad, they were doing well at the time. So instead of me going to a public school, I went to a magnet school. And in the magnet school, um, I was I learned how to learn. 
So from well, I mean, walk. I love that man because you went deep into that when you talked about when you address kids when you first were teaching kids about learning and what that really means and what that meant to you learning how to learn. Right. Well, um, the the concept behind it is it goes. We're going to go like way back to the beginning of survival. Okay. If you give a man a fish, he'll eat for how long? A day. You teach a man to fish, eat his whole life. And that's what life's about. The life's about making sure that you produce productive people. So when you start teaching kids how to learn, then they'll start learning. How, they'll use that same value. They'll they'll use that same formula and everything. Because when I grew up, I from what grade? From the from kindergarten through the third grade, I learned everything that I learned until I got to high school. I didn't learn anything in middle school. <laughs> I see. I was telling my parents that the whole fucking time, and nobody believed me. Yeah, and and so through middle school, I learned nothing. Um, I take that back. Um, I learned how to write in the seventh grade. So in the seventh grade, I really learned how to organize my thoughts, put my thoughts on paper. And they told me that I was writing at an eleventh grade level when I was in the seventh grade. It is really just organizing your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So once I figured that out, then I knew how to convey my messages. Well, how many, I mean, that speaks to that idea of teaching kids to learn. How many kids or where is that school system messing up or where, is they come, where do they come short? What are they really teaching them instead of this how to learn? Well, the first thing is uh, we're not supporting our teachers and we're not training our teachers to understand the purpose of being a teacher. So when you start looking at teachers, teachers are really just trying to get a paycheck um, and survive because at the schools, they're having to be the parent, and they are aware of all the issues that these cat that these kids are coming in with, and these kids coming in with some baggage, man. I mean, some kids are raising themselves. <laughs> yeah, some like, kids are the providers for their family. That's it, and and you know, and it's it's difficult when you try to get a kid from a um, unstable household. And you start talking about, well, you know, all you got to do is just come to school and just, you know, do your homework and get your grades. And you're like, and these kids are like, look, man, I'm in survival mode. You're talking about getting my schoolwork. Where am I going to stay at tonight? Yeah, I'm in fucking hypervigilance right now. <laughs> I'm trying to eat. I'm yeah. Try- yeah. I'm in survival mode. So when, when somebody's in survival mode, their brain cannot develop because you're in such a defense. And you have no stability at home. And when you get to school... You got some teachers that are unstable because they have so much stress from taking all these tests and from making sure that students pass these tests and they're giving these kids tests on things that these teachers shouldn't probably even be teaching. Not to mention they're paying them peanuts. So they they pay them peanuts. And you're right. They do have to be the parent. And I mean, look, where do we go? Right. Do do most people blame the school system? No, they blame the teacher. Right. They, They point at the easiest thing they think. That's up front. Instead, you got teachers dealing with classrooms of 30, 40 kids. Yeah, over overpopulated classrooms. You got you got teachers who who have to pour their emotions into it in order to show the kids that they care. And then the teachers start neglecting themselves. And when they keep neglecting themselves now, um, as you, uh, you know, the, the best quote is when health is absent, wisdom can't reveal itself. Art can't manifest. Strength can't fight. Wealth becomes useless and intelligence can't be applied. Mm. So you have teachers in survival mode because of the students are in survival mode. And since the teachers don't get the support or the proper training that they need in order to go into battle, 
Now you got teachers stressing out in the classroom. Students see that. Students start to see that teachers aren't confident in what weakness. they're teaching. Weakness. And they just eat it alive. So they just eat their weakness because lack of confidence and then there's no connection. And the thing is, is teachers have problems that like when teachers go home, like they, they still date. They still have marriages. <laughs> they still have kids. They still live a life. And when you look at a school teacher, you think that they work in a regular hmm, seven to three. No. Well, you hear them. They'll, some people that aren't teachers or are related to one, they'll go, what? They haven't made. So what? They don't get paid. They got summers off. They get vacations, right? They got to babysit for a couple hours a day, right? That's what they, I mean, people say that about them. They do. But, you know, until you get into the schools and, you know, you know. Shit, flip through Facebook long enough and let one of these kids with that are jacking one of these substitute teachers in the jaw and yeah. be like, yeah, call that easy. Yeah, and and it's, it's not it's not really as easy as what people think, because for one you're getting graded off of, and like here here in, in, in Florida, you have the Marzano, you have the Marzano plan. Now, the Marzano plan, it's it's a great strategy, but teachers are getting graded off of it. So they're losing tenure off of it. Mm-hmm. And since they're losing tenure off of it, now they just try, now you have teachers in survival mode. So if you already have students already in survival mode and teachers in survival mode, you have an unproductive environment. Oh. No shit. Yeah. So, so, you know, and the role of parents is really to help cultivate your kid. So you're supposed to help your kid become great people. And the school is supposed to help educate your kid to be a great worker. So when you have great people and you have great workers, then great people and great workers produce a great environment. But when you have unproductive, but when you have underdeveloped, when you have people that are underdeveloped in certain areas in life and all they know is work. They be successful in their career, but they still fail in life. So when you have people who have, um, I don't want to throw any names out, but let's just say some people have been in five and six marriages, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do very well in business, but can't keep a relationship. Right. Don't even know, really know who their real friends are. And it's because they're so underdeveloped in certain areas in life. Yeah. And until you become developed in every area in life as far as holistically. How many areas for you? How do you see the areas split? Um, it's too many to count. Okay. Okay. It's, okay. it's just one of those deals where you just got to sit back and say, okay, um, I see you having relationship issues because of, because you haven't had a father figure in your house. So since you haven't had a father figure in your house, you never knew what the definition of a healthy relationship with a male figure is. Mm-hmm. So when I go into the schools and I see a lot of these females um, dressing provocatively and they keep they're, they're giving themselves away to these young men, it's because since they've never had their father's touch, now they're jumping out here in the streets and they think that love equates to sex. Sure. Yeah. And it doesn't. Right. It's just a form of lust. And they keep degrading themselves and they haven't seen anything better. Yeah, I think you speak a lot to the parent, man. In a lot of my practice, when I see the clients that I'm seeing or the the young ones that I see, the hardest part for me is not to, well, one, walk out front and strangle the parent, Yeah, you know, and go like, you know, what what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Like what, you know, and even I'm even go back to the basics of this is I say this on the podcast a lot that, you know, so much is modeled from the parents that if you model poor nutrition, poor eating and exercise, then that's a form of child abuse. It is. And because I don't know. I, and in my book, actually, I, I, I try to make the argument where I go, okay, tell me something, a more earthly response, excuse me, a more earthly responsibility as a parent than to teach your child what to eat to reduce harm, how to eat to lengthen lifespan, 
and what to do to avoid sickness. For me, I don't know any more earthly responsibilities that you need to teach your children more than that, more than grades, more than anything, in my opinion. You know, earthly responsibilities. Okay, so so on the earthly side, you gotta you gotta take into account that uh the the definition of abuse breaks to two words, and we just created a short word to abnormally use, mm-hmm. which means that something isn't being used for its purpose. Sure, you don't use a deck of cards and go pay for um <laughs> and go pay for movie theater tickets because if you swipe a if you swipe an ace of spades and like what are you doing? <laughs> right, that right. doesn't work. Like that's that's not the purpose of this. And all you're going to end up doing is throwing and tearing these cards up. And that's what people do with kids because they don't understand what it is to be a parent. So if you look at where we come from, as far as our generations, we just hit the generation of where everybody just wanted to make money. And our parents were never taught by our grandparents on how to become great people or great parents. Right. It was just provide. Right. So it was just to provide, um, fit, like financially. It right. was never to provide emotionally. It wasn't never to provide. Um, well, think mentally. about it. Our, our grand, you're from the South like me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the old stoic grandfather that doesn't say much, that's just, he probably built the house with his hands that you're all having Thanksgiving in. Mm-hmm. You know, that was our representation of this patriarch, <laughs> you know, this provider. Right. right. And but although they may not have been to this self-actualized point, possibly is what you're saying is that generation. They only knew what they knew. Right. And and, and to be cursed is to be blocked from knowledge. That's the definition of being cursed is to be blocked from knowledge. To be blessed is to be empowered and to have and to be empowered is to have a wealth of knowledge. Mm. And whether you use it or not, you still have that wealth of knowledge. Knowledge has always been the true wealth of the of, of the world, um, physically, spiritually, and mentally. Because mm. if you know how to beat a disease, you can never get it. Or if you do get it, you can beat it, right? right? Or if you knew how to make a million dollars, <laughs> you'll never be poor. You know how to make a million dollars. You'll always make a million dollars. And if you file for bankruptcy, it's okay. I know how to make a million dollars. So no matter what you feel like is at risk, you'll know how to make it back. So it's always the knowledge and knowledge and education aren't the same. To be educated is to be programmed (laughs) to have knowledge, (laughs) to have knowledge is to become aware. Boom. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I would totally agree. Yeah. So so when you so when you get into the concept of parents not knowing how to be parents it's because they were never taught how to be parents. They never took the time to help develop themselves because they were so underdeveloped growing up. They just started having kids at a young age. So as far as their time goes, they never had time to themselves to develop. They've only had time to be to be a survivor and to be in the struggle and to feed kids. Yeah. And to provide a house and to provide for Christmas presents and to do all these things. Then you still have a relationship that you have to keep with whoever you have the kids with. And that just takes so much of your energy. So in 24 hours, you have a life currency. And your life currency is time. So however you spend your life currency, that's what you get in return. But they never spent their life currency to help develop themselves to make themselves better. So they never developed into a higher self. So they limited themselves from when they first had their first kid or two to where they may have been 18, 19. And that's the most they've been able to develop because they spent the rest of their time working. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, when you were talking about abuse, you know, shit, I'm going to even say uh, I'm going to count job or beginning workforce as being abuse. Um, <laughs> and what we and what we kind of talk about is when somebody first experiences a trauma or a heavy trauma, that's usually the emotional age that they stop. You know, if they're being affected by addiction, that's usually the emotional age they stop. Um, you know, I could say the same with, you know, what you're talking about. And, you know. I have to say, man, I think a lot of it does hinge back to the parents and underdeveloped. And mm-hmm. most people do go back to what was modeled for them. You know, you'll hear, I hear my older friends now with kids going, well, you know what? We didn't do that when we were kids. And I'll kind of look at them like, yeah, the fuck we did. <laughs> like, I was with you, dude. <laughs> we did that kind of shit. Don't stand there and talk like you didn't do that when you were a kid, when your kid does it, as if you romance on some past adventure. I was like, dude, it was not the perfect age. It was not the golden <laughs> era. You know, you you got to think a little bit, man. You know, and so I talk a lot about with kids. I think the thing when you talk about underdeveloped, mm-hmm. if I could pick one thing maybe that affects most parents that a problem that gets passed down generation to generation is something that I call performance based value. Right. Is this idea that the value that we hold as individuals is wrapped up in the base of how we perform. Right. Which isn't true. Like if I have my child, you met my daughter out there, mm-hmm. if my daughter performs poorly at a volleyball game or a report card, the value of Roxy's bark is still annoying, but the value <laughs> of the value of my daughter is not uh, diminished, right? The value of my daughter is not diminished because she performed poorly. Right. And so what happens is that generation before us and before us tends to judge the value based on performance, right? So if you did not provide financially as a, as a dad or a father, you know, back in the time or even today, right. you have no value, right? Mm-hmm. And we teach that, I think, to our kids. And so what I stress a lot is one of the worst things you can tell a kid when they show you a report card is you're better than this. Because when that child hears you're better than this, and I know a lot of people listen to this podcast, you may have said it, you know, I said it too at a time where you say you tell your kid you're better than this, but what the kid progress processes is, okay, I am the report card since my result of those grades is who I am, then how I perform is the value of me. So then they go their whole life going, I must perform to have value. And then when I don't perform well at a social standard, when I don't, I'm not popular, I don't have friends, when I'm bad at sports, when I don't fit in, when I fail at these, well, facades, when right. I fail at these ideas, then the value of me no longer exists. And I think that's why the United States leads in depression, anorexia, bulimia, these kind of things, is we're raised with this idea of you perform to prove your value. And then as children, if you don't perform... Hell, kids take it personal. If dad leaves and mom leaves or they break up, what do they do? They blame themselves, don't they? Yeah. Your divorce is my fault. So it's still this, I could have performed better as a child to keep them together, right? I could have performed better on that report card and then I would have more value. And that performance-based value, I think that's one of the underdeveloped ideas. So imagine these parents that get older have given no value to themselves as who they are as individuals. Right. Only been told that how you perform with the wallet or at Christmas deems your value as a parent. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of people get lost, man. I don't know. What are your thoughts on performance-based value? I think it plays a role, but it shouldn't It shouldn't be the main weight. And, and here's what I mean. Um Let's say you let's say you uh let's say you played basketball, right? And you shot mm, 
30% in a game. Then you would know that you still have room for improvement. So there are things that you need to work on in that, like as far as your shooting or your form or, you know, what you focus on based off of your shot or even your balance while you're shooting or um, your shot selection. And most people, they would take that as, as saying that, uh, well, he's just a kid. But the reality is, is you have to start people early and helping them understand that there is a lot that like you have to develop whatever gifts and talents that you've been given now. And that's where I connect it with effort to where I say effort becomes what you, you approach. So if the child brings home the report card, the, the kid misses the shot. Mm-hmm. I may look at it. So you may have some um, mechanical measures to focus on. You know, you may have to study differently, shoot differently. But what I would say is the idea here, maybe your effort in practicing your shot, yeah. your effort in studying, these efforts have been poor yeah, so and, could, and could be improved. Right. But the value of you as a person is different. Right. Because you're not a basketball player first. Bam. You're a person first. Exactly. And as long as you're a great person, you'll develop whatever skills because great people do great at whatever they do in life. And, you know, that's why I'm big on personal development, which is why I use basketball is because people know that they didn't prepare for that game. And in life, you have to prepare for each level in life. So because um, in, in, in the high schools, especially in the low in the low poverty high schools or the uh, title one high schools or middle schools or elementary schools, one thing they don't teach the kids to do is practice reading. There's not a reading class that's going to make you better at reading unless you read. The only thing that's going to make you shoot better jumpers, practicing shooting jumpers. That's why when you have kids, that's why when you see kids with these math books, they call them exercises. Okay, so um, did you do exercise three point two, which is going to be for for um, for 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 division? Did you do that? No, I didn't. So you're going to be weak in division, <laughs> yeah. or you're going to be weak in multiplication because you didn't do the exercises. So it's always good to show kids, hey, look, you really just have to work at it. People always ask me, so, so Mike, so, um, so how do you get faster? Run. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care how many squats you do, because I know bodybuilders. I can be bodybuilders running backwards. Because yeah. they, like, they, you know, they work out. And they work their legs, and their legs are real strong, but it's not functional strength. So you, so you have to exercise. So functional learning. Is Functional learning is definitely the key and teaching people how to learn and teaching kids how to learn and teaching teachers how to teach how to learn is going to make their job so much easier because now instead of feeling like you're teaching them something, you're giving, you're allowing them to reveal the answers or you're allowing them to reveal the concepts and principles of what you're teaching. And then the classroom becomes fun because you solely taught them how to learn. And if they don't come prepared for class, they're not they're going to be bored in class because they didn't do the exercises to be strong enough <laughs> for the uh, for the activities for that class. Mm-hmm. And that goes from reading. So when you give a kid a book to read, just tell them, say, look, this is your job. Your job is to read 20 minutes of this book. And in 20 minutes, you should be able to clear a chapter in 20 minutes. And if you can clear this chapter in 20 minutes tomorrow, when you come to class, we're not going to have a quiz. We're going to talk about it. And I want everybody to talk about it. And as long as we talk about it, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be throwing candy to you. Um, and then if we get through this chapter fast enough, we're not doing anything on Friday. Friday's going to be our fun day. And once kids get short-term in, in initiatives, 
then they'll start seeing the long-term initiatives, which is every nine weeks of their grades. And then from graduating from high school, then they're going to be so conditioned to see long-term initiatives, they'll know how to be patient and understand that there's a process in everything that they're going to do in life. I like that. So you're back again to where we started was teaching kids how to learn. That's man. If that's the key, because if you teach people how to absorb information, <laughs> where do you start with them? What would you say? Because you know, for me, I like to start about because man, this is weird, man. It trips me out. Cause all this stuff connects back to my, you know, what I write about, mm-hmm. and the idea of I talk about certain principles, like given actual. There's three given principles, and one of my principles is CCE, which is competence leads to confidence leads to enthusiasm Mm -hmm. so competence is that knowledge right right but before you can get competent to get competent to be enthusiastic the first thing that has to happen is you got to show humility you got to understand that you know what you don't know and then that's my h equals c principle which humility equals competence and so if you can really brace that level and i think a lot of young kids right that come from tough places that are in this hyper vigilance Mm -hmm. i think a lot of them like you said they're they're stuck in hyper vigilance So they can't begin to be humble because if you show weakness in that environment and you start going, well, no, teach me something. Well, no, show me something. You become the victim. You become the substitute teacher who's getting (laughs) raided. Yeah. And and getting the desk held over your head. Right. And it's because they lack confidence because they don't because teachers don't know how to handle situations. Teachers don't know how to handle students over here on the west side of town. No, I mean, what? what is, <laughs> it's funny, you, I, I think I talked on the Blast podcast, a lot of gr- new graduates out of master's programs, psychology programs, et cetera, they find themselves in dual diagnosis, <laughs> heavily government <laughs> rehab facilities. Right. I've watched some of the most innocent looking people you've ever met, all ready to go, confident with their little forms and stuff, ready to do their first group. And half the group has done maybe a total of 110 years in prison added up together, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she or he's sitting down to run this group. And within five minutes, bro, they're eating her alive <laughs> or they're eating him alive. You know, it's over. They're just tearing them up. And like you said, these teachers come with really good intentions. Yeah. I think, I think they come with the love. And then you walk into a, a, a den where you got half the class, if it's a low socioeconomic status area or somebody that's troubled, mm-hmm. you got a kid who has to act like he's the shit or act like she's the shit because really they want to kill themselves. They don't want to be home. It's scary. Um, so they act like, hey, I got my shit together. They can't be humble. So they're walking into classrooms not ready to learn. Right. And, and it's it's, a, it's perceived confidence. And, and that perceived confidence is their defense. And a lot of times when I see kids like that, um, I just kind of, I kind of pull them to the side. Or if, if they hear my story. Can I hear your story? <laughs> Let's hear, brother, we got three, four hours. Man, we got nowhere to be. <laughs> um, well, I it's, think it's important though, right? Let's know. Where, tell us your story, brother. All right. Well, you know. Um, Hell, you're telling me we just fucking met. So <laughs> I don't even know your story, man. <laughs> well, you know, I'm from, I'm from, once again, being from Jacksonville and my mom and dad, they both grew up from broken homes. That's the other thing that tripped me out is I played college up in Jacksonville. I played ball up there and you're from the same fucking area. I'm from the West side, 103rd. So Sweetwater, um, Ricker Road, um, 118th Street, all that, all that's me. That's shout, shout out to Duval. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm a little afraid to go back to Jacksonville. It's, it's crazy out there, man. I'm, it is. I'm not designed. To, I'm not built for Jacksonville. Now, it, now Jacksonville conditioned me, so you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm from Jacksonville. Um, my mom grew up 
in a in a in a in a broken home. My dad grew up without a father, and um, my mom never knew what the definition of a man was. So when her and my dad got together, my dad never knew what the definition of a man was or what the definition of a woman was. So they just got together and thought that they were just going to make it work. So they grew up in a struggle. And when you see two adults grow up in a struggle, you shouldn't produce kids while you're in a struggle. Because whatever whatever you are as far as your offspring, then you become that struggle. So um, growing up, I was aware of uh, unintentional hate. Explain the un, un you knew I was going to ask <laughs> you even paused you're like unintentional hate. All right, so unintentional hate is the opposite of love, but it's it's like you're not trying to hate somebody. The reality of it is is you don't know what love is. So, um since my my mom grew up spoiled. So, when my dad told her no or when she didn't get away, you know, she took it out on us. And when my dad didn't get his way, he was more verbally abusive. My mom was more physically abusive. So growing up and you live in a household between two adults that are abusive and they're in between the two of them, man, they should have been got divorced, but they didn't. So you have two emotional storms and three kids in the middle. So imagine two major hurricanes hitting each other at one point and you have to deal with that for 18 years. That meant you lived in a constant state of hypervigilance. Yeah. So, so I struggled and I knew it was more to life than what they were showing me, but I grew up in the struggle for so long. What made you know that? How did you know? Man, I, TV, (laughs) as funny as it may sound, like something as simple as just TV. Um, I loved real estate when I was growing up. I was like, I I used to watch the real estate channel. You remember back in Jacksonville, they just had the real estate channel. They'll just show you all the prices of the houses. That's right. And I got so good at it. If you point out a house, I say, well, what side of town is it on? I can be within two. I can be within two thousand dollars of the price of that house. What? Right, it's some kind of like new fair thing we could set up, right? Name, <laughs> name the price of the house. But I like so the learn the competence comes from the experience of some of the most random places. Yeah. So so um so with unintentional hate, you live in hell for so long that once you find that one thing that gets you out of it, you learn how to live heaven on earth. Um, but the reality is, is um, throughout my 18 years of being in a house with two adults who were underdeveloped, I had to become aware that my dad didn't know what it was to be a man. So he was creating his own definition, nor did he have support or even a mentor to show him what's the definition of a man or how to be a man or the characteristics of a good man. So I grew up expecting that thinking that I needed validation from my father to be a man. But the reality is, is he wasn't a man. So he didn't meet the requirements to tell me. How can a a non knight knight you? Exactly. So, so, um, so from that, um, I went in the military and then from the military, I started seeing, I started understanding that life was more than what was on the West side of Jacksonville just the world was bigger or was there a specific event well it was it was just a lot you know um i, I was i was uh, i was in the navy from 2000 to 2004 and i did iraqi freedom well um iraqi enduring freedom and you get a chance to see so much so you get a chance to see people who are really in poverty and then at the same time i uh, since i was stationed in virginia i got a chance to see how people really lived in some nice houses so you start thinking 
what am I doing wrong? Because <laughs> if cause, am I know. not watching the real estate channel enough? <laughs> yeah, well, like what it was like what's 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 the case? Um, and and honestly, and, and when you say real poverty, man, ex- explain that a little bit. All right, um, in Suda Bay Creek, um, it's a little island on the bottom of Italy, so it's like a I don't know um, a few hundred miles, well, not even a hundred miles, maybe a hundred miles off the coast of Italy, like at the very bottom. So you know, Italy is the shape of a boot. Well, right under that is a uh, is Suda Bay Creek, okay. and kids are walking out there, no shoes, um, selling roses, selling cards. Just real poverty. Just like real poverty. Yeah. Um, like dirty uniforms. Well, well, dirty outfits, not uniforms. But like dirty outfits. And they live by the water. So when you see it in person, it's a lot different than seeing it on TV. Because yeah. on TV, you don't smell it. <laughs> mm. um, on Like on TV, they don't show the shoes. On TV, you don't see the dirty hands and nails. You don't see the scars on their arm from climbing up and down rocks you don't see their toenails bleeding you don't see these things mm. but when you see it in person you're like oh my goodness and the smell and the smell my so God. when when you when you get into the environment but when the, you think about 183rd in duval county and then you kind of go well well yeah 103rd or 103rd you go well i maybe not, not so bad when yeah, it's, um poverty in the united states it's still some of the richest in other countries. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, uh, the issue in India right now with their water is is ridiculous. Yes, and so, we, yeah, and we have clean water. Yeah. So you're traveling. You're you're in the navy. So you've seen all this stuff. Walk mm-hmm. me through it, man. So so from being in the, in the navy, um, I learned, uh, and the one of the first things I learned was from in, while I was in boot camp. Um, now, I don't know though, dude. You jumped out 103rd Street pretty fast. Are you leaving something out? You went right from yeah. I'm I'm from Duval 103rd. Now I'm in the Navy. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That was intentional. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought um, so. Cause, cause, uh, what are you leaving out, man? Can we know? What man, you... I I saw a lot in Jacksonville. Um, What's the worst? And... Gotcha. You get numb to it. Oh shit! What um, was the first then? The first or the is, worst. What's the one that echoes in the brain if you really sat down and thought about it? The one that maybe influenced you the most that you knew you had to get out. Uh, I I watch people get killed a lot, like literally. And this this wasn't even on some on some humbug. Like this wasn't just people getting upset and fighting. No, this was. Hey, look, man. If you don't have my money, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. And. Next time you come out, you be like, "Hey man, I told you better have my money." Boom, and you just see it like that. And this is an everyday and, occurrence, and it's just normal. You walk by dead bodies sometimes. If you start taking like back roads and going over ditches and going through ditches, because you know, for one, I wasn't, I wasn't the most saint person. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I had my own dealings, but I never, I never killed anybody. But you know, I hung around a lot of killers and dope boys, so they conditioned me for life. What's so, it like, man? What's your average weekend like? Oh, um, well, in Jacksonville? Yeah. Back when you were kinda coming up, yeah. I don't know. It it was Like it you just, just said, huh? It was just it was just, like it was just it just depend. It depended on what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um you got friends that you rolled with and then if you felt like you didn't have enough money, then you rolled solo. So if you had to slide through a house real quick, if you had to 
get you a little butter knife and know how to crack that little back door open for a little second or you know if you had to take a car and or if you had to just strong on robbery somebody for a bike you did what you had to do you was in survival mode mm. so it was it was never really just one thing yeah. and half the time you see it and you just be like oh, well you know he was it was coming to him <laughs> right, um, right right so it, it was there's no average thing um but during the summer was fun because then you had a school and everybody get together and play basketball or play football and you always had because at that time we growing up in different ages of dope of, of people in the dope game anyway um people back then they didn't really advertise it as far as being exciting they told you that they made some mistakes and that's all they had left because they wanted their kids in private school they didn't want their kids dealing with the same thing that they had to deal with and you know so they really looked out for us so um on the weekends they'll throw like a barbecue and invite all the kids to keep us out of trouble but sometimes when they weren't around the idle mind is a devil's playground so you just find things to get into and it's just it's not because you're bad you just you don't know the consequences and you don't really underdeveloped yeah underdeveloped undermodeled yeah and because you didn't because the dope boys couldn't tell you what not to do because they was doing it so you know they're not gonna tell well, you, and they start to look like the heroes. They're the ones throwing the parties. They're the ones with the the girls. They're the ones with the fun. They're the ones showing you the most love. They're the ones sitting down and having the conversations with you. They're spending the time with you that your parents aren't spending with you. Yeah, a, a lot of times you remember that little pull to the side, right at the barbecue. Hey man, let me tell you something. When when your uncle badass, you know, mm-hmm. pulls you to the side and goes, "Let me tell you something," you know, you you tend to remember that when nothing's being modeled for you properly. Yeah, and and that's and that's uh that's one of the biggest parts. So, but you know, just in in Jacksonville, man, it was it wasn't a it's not like it was it, it was never average. So, but a good weekend would be if you have a barbecue I mean, is if you have a pool party on a Saturday and you're not running from anybody on a Sunday. And, and a bad weekend? A bad weekend is when a few of your partners end up going to going to uh going to DDC, Department of Juvenile Justice or um one of them, one of them got in, like one of them got jumped or one of them got stabbed. Then you can't go to the hospital because then you can't go talk to their parents about it because you don't want them parent, you don't want their parents to know that you was with them because mm. what's the first thing the parents gonna say? So tell me what happened. You'd be like, nope, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we were doing something we shouldn't have been doing to begin with. Yeah. Um, but just the reality of it is, is you just you kind of you get numb to it. And honestly, uh, I did a challenge day over here at Evans, and kids was telling me about how they were being raped and how they were being abused and how they living from house to house and how they getting out and how they got all these issues and how their brothers getting kicked out. And I realized that that was a normal for me. It was a normal for me to have people in prison, like friends and family in prison or somebody to die or somebody on drugs or somebody with AIDS or HIV. That was a normal to me, you know? Um, and that's why I call it unintentional hate is because people they really mean to have your best interest at heart but they don't know how to love you so if they don't know how to love you they're abusing you without being aware of the consequences that's going to happen in the future so they're really sabotaging your life and to sabotage that's why i give that's why i give the notion unintentional hate because to hate is to sabotage and to destroy i get and, that and people aren't aware of it so okay. but um there wasn't really a, a and, yeah that it covers so what made you what, what goes all right the navy is the way out well uh, i just had to get out of jacksonville 
Oh. You just knew it. Like, like my, my me and my mom and dad wasn't getting along. Um, uh, a few of my cousins was getting shot. Um, one of my partners, he uh, he was getting ready to do a bid, and and uh, some of the dope boys who looked out for me for so long, they was they was getting put away, and they had to go hide away. They had to go hide for a while, and I'm not talking about like just um, just hiding. I mean, like stop doing everything that they were doing for like two, three years. And, but in the process they had to move. Yeah. So, you know, when you got people who are your suppliers, as far as playing basketball and making sure that you get clothes for the school year and so forth, and they just disappear. Now you got abandonment issues too. Now you're saying back like, man, you committed to me, man. <laughs> like, so abandonment over and over again. Holy fuck. And that's why, that's why loyalty is so important. And when you when you a kid, because when you grow up and you have so many people who just neglect. Now, mind you, my mom and dad was still in the house, but I didn't depend on them for support. Does that make it worse that they're there and still don't do anything, or is it better just not to have anyone? You think it was your normal? Mm. You didn't know, like you didn't know that that like um, you didn't know that two parents can be home when you get home from school. You didn't know that your dad can sit down and help you with your schoolwork. You didn't even think about the idea of your mom and dad picking you up from school or taking you to school or sitting down at the sitting down at the dinner table and eating all together. You know, um, the well, notions that a lot of families just take for granted are just common knowledge. Yeah. And it's so that it's, a lot of teens take for granted that happens that, you know, that happens in their life. Their parents bust their ass to provide that for their kids and do that kind of thing day in and day out. And this kid may not even know, you know, that it, what, what yeah, it's he, like for many. Yeah, he doesn't even know that it's not the normal. Yeah, man. I mean, you, to, for those listening, man, to try to put yourself there, man, and put myself, you know, in that notion of not even understanding the, the, these basics as even possibly existing. Right. And, and so we just, you just got to get the fuck out. And so the Navy's the first call. Man, man, one thing I knew, I knew I had to graduate high school. <laughs> that was first. I said, look, I said, okay. Now, at the time, I wasn't as big as in, in the education as I am now. But at the time, I just knew that I just needed to make good enough grades to get out of Jacksonville. And when I went in the Navy, that was my first. That was that was the monk. That was a monkey off my back. I said, "Okay, I can breathe a little bit. I don't have wow. to worry about getting fussed at and cussed at and telling why I didn't wash dishes or why didn't why didn't I uh, do laundry or why didn't I have something cooked for dinner or even because you know, um, growing up, I had to live three separate lifestyles. At school, I had to be the student." <laughs> Uh, in the streets, I had to be tough. I had to be that quiet, tough guy to where if you came across me, I had to make a decision. I had to decide if I wanted to go to battle with you as well as all the other battles that I was facing or if I just had to let you go and just keep handling all the other battles that I was fighting. Because, you know, it's like America can't go to war with two separate countries at the same time. What was the AKA name, man? Oh, uh, in, in Jacksonville? Uh-huh. Uh, Bouncer. Well, it was it was it was Mike. Mike. When I was innocent, it was Bouncer. As I grew older, and then uh, when I got to Virginia, it was it was Bouncer. And then when I moved to Orlando, it became Big Mike. Isn't it funny how even when we take on those personas, whether it's out of survival, necessity, hypervigilance, whatever, that we have to even put a pseudo name on it. You have to, um, because uh, it's it's not it's not the reality of what most people think because they don't live it. Do you think it's almost like? It's almost like natural instinct that we know to go, you know what, call me this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is that we know it's so unnatural that we can't even be called our own fucking name when we do it. Right. And it's, it's, it's a, 
because your name means something. Mm. Um, you know, all I, like every word means something. Every word has a meaning. And when somebody continues to call you that, then you have to understand what it's about. So um, when I was when I was uh, growing up, it was Mikey, the innocent young kid, Mikey. Then uh, when I was in high school, it was Bouncer. And it was because for two reasons. For one, I had a lot, well, three reasons. For one, I had a lot of energy, so I was always all over the place, You're always bouncing off um, the wall. And 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 for two, um, I was I was I was big for a seventeen year old. <laughs> and then for three, I can bounce back from no matter what gets thrown at me. Like I just have the ability to rebound. Yeah. So it's much. So when people were called by the nickname, you have to live this persona. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Because yeah, you know you're a brand. And as much as people don't pay attention to it, you're a brand in every level of, of where you're living. So if you're in the streets and you're and your name and they look at you like you bouncer, then that mean, well, why why they call him bouncer? Because you're a big guy. Um, or when I was in Virginia and they called me bouncer, it was because, hey, look, man, this this dude <laughs> bounce your ass off the concrete because he come quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those to where if if I pounce first, you're not winning. You're right. So, I mean, in that, in that not so, I mean, I took us off course with asking the name, man, but I, it's funny how you just know, right? You just, I mean, it's common knowledge, right? Right. And so you just knew you, you had to get out of there, you know, and it's just time to go. Man, I, you know what? I, I don't, I don't know if you even notice what you say, man, but I, I don't know whether to just go, what the fuck? Is you signed up during a war? Oh, I went in in 2000. I, um, okay. It was, it was, it was before any war was kicking off. Thank God. Um, All right, because I'm going to say, dude, you you so nonchalantly traded off being at home with uh, uh, entering a a war, and then I, you know what, I didn't even think to ask, you know, if it was 2000 or 06. You know, oh yeah, it was ask. it was. I went in in 2000. I got out in uh, 2004. Okay. Um, but I just knew that I was. It was a war inside my house. Right. You just traded one up. for a real one, um, or well, a different one. Well, the the war didn't start yet. So if I would have knew that the war would start, I would have probably. You wouldn't have done it. I'm like, no, hold on. Now. I don't know about this uh, this military thing. We got this war going. I ain't trying to die. <laughs> if I want to die, I could just live in Jacksonville. It don't happen. <laughs> I was gonna say that's what I was kind of making a joke at. Is that dude? You're trading in fucking Beirut, fucking for Baghdad. Yeah. Um. No. It's a, it was a. I just I just knew that once I got in the military, I just needed to become independent. And I always knew. And and honestly, I had mentors, man. I had uh I had my big brother Rod and my big brother Jeff. Um, and I had a few other guys who always showed me so much love. And I went to my boy Jeff's house one day, my big brother, um, not biological big brother, but you know, yeah. um, so I went to his house one day and I looked at his house and I walked in. I like, I said, man, I can breathe. He said, what are you talking about? I said, your air is clean. He said, he said, you, do y'all change y'all, uh, y'all vents? I said, man, I don't know what he do. I said, but, but his house, like his house was so immaculate. It looked like a model home. So you couldn't tell if somebody lived there or if it was a commercial because <laughs> this house was that nice. And I was like, if I, and I always hated the fact that whenever, whenever my, whenever family was coming to town, you know, my family from, well, my mom and dad both grew up in Tallahassee. So they would come to Jacksonville to visit and they were like, all right, time to clean up. Like, why we got to keep cleaning up when they come? Why don't we just keep it clean? What's so hard about that? Yeah. If we just kept it clean, I wouldn't have to spend two hours cleaning up. I can be outside. Yeah. So why are you going to tell me I got to clean up now when I'm supposed to be outside? Like, I, it's a basket. It's a football game going on right in my front yard. And I can't play in it. 
because people coming. <laughs> people coming. And I just want to play football right now. Oh, you know, I'm nine years old. I just want to get out here and play some football. And uh, yeah, man. And so the, those models, man, they really become real. So I mean, you remember how young were you seeing a house like this, and and did it influence you so much? Um, how old was I then? I mean, you're talking teenage. Oh, I was a teenager. I, was, right. I think I was like, 15, I think I was 16. I think I was 16 when I met Jeff. So 16 when you meet Jeff, and he takes you on as a mentor, and you see something like that. And, I mean, that shows how much the modeling really affects someone's life and, and obviously affected yours. I it mean, did. you still remember today. Man, I remember it like it was yesterday. I can tell you, I can tell you, uh, what I can tell you, uh, what how big he had a thirty. He had a thirty-two inch screen TV. Well, it wasn't the screen; it was the uh, you know it was the two TVs. We're speaking our age, you know, so the before the black You're dating screen. us, brother. You're dating us, <laughs> um, man. But but you're um, killing me now, man. So it was so it was that, and he had off white carpet, off white furniture, a clean like I mean clean like uh, fish was living good, um, <laughs> clean fish tank. <laughs> And they vacuumed every day, and everything on the wall was nice and neat. And it was the way a house was supposed to be. So I just started realizing, I was like, so life has to be more than the way we live in our house, and and it has to be different. And so between him and my big brother Rod, you know, they started investing more time into me and started playing. So I learned how to play chess before. I learned how to play chess in the sixth grade. But when I started playing chess with my big brother Jeff, he started showing me. He said, look, man, I'm going to let you take this move back. Now, remember, it's a strategy. So since you're new to this, I'm only going to let you take these move backs only, only for so long. And uh, once we started, once he started showing me that, I started paying attention to how life is a strategy and how some battles that you fight, it's going to always be more mental. And you have to be, you have to be kind of, you have to be. Mm, you have to be deceptive in some of your moves. Like when you play chess, you you don't want them to know that you're attacking from one angle because you always you should always be setting things up and preparing yourself for whatever he throws at you later. Mm-hmm. And he taught me that. So once I started learning that, then I started strategizing everything. And my big brother Rod he taught he, you how to learn. Oh uh, yeah, he taught me how to learn about life, and he taught me how to prepare for things in life. Now I see um, where it's coming from. Yeah. So so you know. And and he just genuinely showed me love. So since he showed me love all the time, it just got to a point where that seed that he planted in me, it just started growing and flourishing. And then Rod, uh, my other big brother, he started he started uh, investing in me and spending time with me and playing Madden. Um, I don't know if you remember. Uh, what was it? Uh, game day. You remember game day? Yeah. Don't count on me to date myself. <laughs> <laughs> so so we started playing game day. And then I started learning strategies in that as well. So I started using chess strategies in the game of game day. And then, you know, just started piecing things together and just being able to be around other men who were like, who were being successful and who had their acts together. And, 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 uh, Rod really taught me how to control my emotions and how not to allow somebody or not to show anybody, even if you're upset, because those who control your emotions control you. And once he started showing me that, and I started seeing how he was having issues with the person that he was with at the time. And isn't it funny? Uh, one of my mentors taught me that um, you know he's given you the advice, and it's probably his own he needed. Right. But I always <laughs> would say that uh, what Leo would always say: with all things cool, calm, and benign, I'll solve anyone's problem unless it's mine. Because <laughs> yeah. when you in the fight, it's a whole other like the dynamics change. Yeah, he would take it further, and he would go, "Look, I'll try to explain it." 
when it's, it, it's he also would explain it why we always give great advice to our friends. So if you're out there listening or you're sitting here and you're going like, hey, where do I get, you know, I give the best advice. My friends all call me. And they do that is because it's 70-30, Leo would say. He would say, look, it's 70% wisdom when you're giving advice to somebody else, 30% emotion. He said, when it's your own shit, it's 70% emotion, 30% wisdom, <laughs> and you have no fucking clue what you're doing. He goes, so Adam, when in doubt, do what you would advise. And I was like, oh, I fucking like that. And that's actually in my book, too, where it says, when in doubt, do what you would advise. I like it. Bless you, Leo. Yeah. And so I see the development here, man. So you got the minute you have the right mentors in place modeling something for you, you know, you always saw that there was a way out or something new. I mean, I love that, man. And then you just say, get me the fuck out of uh, out of Dodge, literally. Yeah, I, I needed to get out of Jacksonville. And and then uh, even when I moved here, uh, even when I when I left, when I finished with the military um, and I came to, uh, I ended up coming to Orlando um, it was a guy that lived right across the hall from me. Um, and, and I call, I ended up, he ended up adapting me as his nephew. So, uh, so I call him uncle G now, uncle G, he really put a lot of things in perspective for me. Cause obviously, you know, I'm still dealing with the issue as far as, as far as having uh fatherless home issues. Now he was in the house, but he wasn't being a father. So he was only providing, he was only providing physically, but he wasn't providing mentally and emotionally. So, um, so uncle G ended up saying, so Mike, listen, let me tell you something, boy. Um, nobody, like he doesn't validate who you are. Who are you to think that he validates who you are? He doesn't know what you've been through or what you're going through. Like, don't let somebody validate you. Um, you hold a higher standard than what most. And for, and from what I see, look, man, you got your life together and you know, you got your own apartment. You out here going to school and you know, you got one girl coming in out of this house. I don't see what a bunch of different girls coming in out of this house. So I think you're doing all right. And every time I have a conversation with you, Look, man, you got your head together. Like, you keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about him. And that small confirmation, bro, was just uplifting. Just the idea of saying nobody validates who you are. Bam. <laughs> That's right. No one, yeah, I, you were talking about young girls earlier, you know, who really don't understand that idea of value. And, um, you know, I, I, I cry for those girls a lot because I have a 15-year-old daughter. You know, when, when I think about those young girls that aren't modeled that and, they, you know, they don't understand, you know, that value and they put it out there. The same with kind of what you were were feeling at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and and they grow up with the idea of unintentional hate. So they end up hating themselves and don't even know it. They're sabotaging their own life and don't even know it. They're yeah. sabotaging their, their, their form of success and they don't even know it. Kids are dropping out of school and don't know that you need that you need to understand certain concepts and principles or you need certain skills. And the hidden skill is you need to learn how to learn. You need to learn how to write. You need to learn how to do research. You need to learn how to do addition and subtraction. Because yeah. if you don't have those basic fundamentals, so to fund your mental, um, if, and so if you, if your goal is to fund your mental, but you don't have avenues of how to pour into your mental because you didn't develop, you didn't develop the capacity to absorb it. Mm -hmm. You didn't learn how to learn it. Right. You didn't learn how to learn it. So now you're failing in life and you can't figure out why. But the reality is, is you sabotage your life when you decided to skip your math class or you sabotage your life when you decided that you didn't want to do, you know, you didn't care about history. It seems like you always had this inner drive of this inner curiosity. It seemed like you always have this thing that always was pushing you to go learn and grab because it's rare that you talk to people and they tell you, you know, there was this mentor, this mentor, and then I found this other mentor, right? 
And you know what, what I was referencing those young girls is they they reach for those young men or or what have you even if they're lesbian they reach for young girls whatever boys do it the same you know boys reach the same on their sexuality too and they're reaching for that justification the more girls they can sleep with the more it justifies their manhood you know it seems as if they're running around with that idea you know this perform well back to performance, performance based value yeah. if the girl can perform well with the boy she'll get justification and it's it's really allowing like you said allowing someone to justify your existence and uncle g noticed that yeah and and, and he played and man uh and his mom his mom just passed her away recently so you know he took some time away but um shout out to you uncle g you're welcome yeah. to the podcast anytime yeah so you know and uncle g he man he laid some heavy ones on me he like he gave me some nuggets uh he he was like even even on the idea of now um i'm realizing because you know i i study nature nature is the is the hidden oracle <laughs> of life and we miss that so um you remember the story of an ant and the grasshopper where where the ant um and it's, they taught this about like there was it was a book that that we read in elementary school of ant and the grasshopper teach me and and uh I'm, I'll just I'll just give you a brief a brief one. All right, so um, the ant, um, when it first like when it first when it was first born, it already learned that it needed to work, and it learned how to become productive at such a young age that as it developed, that it had a team of ants with them, and they always worked. Now they took a little time off and had some fun ever so often, but they always worked. And then there was this grasshopper. Now this grasshopper, he will be playing the violin every day, having fun, and you know, and going and, and just going out and doing parties every day. And the grasshopper would only work to get just enough of what he needed for the day, and he would spend the rest of his time partying. And the ant con- constantly worked, so the ant was so the ant would always go by the grasshopper, and the grasshopper was like, "Look, man, when you gonna come spend some time with me, man? Look, man, you're working too hard. Listen, man, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. You're not enjoying life." Uh, it's so much life out here to work and there's so much things out here that we need to do and you know food is plentiful and the grasshopper wasn't aware that there are four seasons the grasshopper was only aware of the summer and the spring <laughs> mm-hmm. so during the so during the summer oh I'm sorry so during the spring everything was plentiful then during the summer it was getting hot but you know you still had some it was still plentiful uh, two crop seasons and then comes the fall so once the fall, things start to get cold, food starts to diminish a little bit. Yep. So the ant already understood that concept because he already understood what the queen ant was telling him to do from the beginning, which is, look, we're going to work hard now because there's going to be a season where we can't work. So don't try to eat all the food right now. Hold on to the food. And we're going to store all the food for the season that we can't work. We're still going to be eating like fat rats and we're going to party every day. <laughs> we're going to party every day until we're done. So uncle G, um, taught me that, uh, and you know, and he had a, he had an old G now, um, he was air traffic control and man, he was clearing some change. Cause I think back in, back in the eighties, he was clearing a hundred thousand. They're still trying to pay him a lot of money. Cause it's so stressful. Yeah. So, so just imagine in the eighties, he was making a hundred thousand. Yeah. It's a stressful job too. And he just retired two, three years. He just retired three years ago. So I don't, I'm not going to even try to put uh, put my wrap my head around how much he was making. Yeah. But he had a but he had a one bedroom apartment and he had an old Jeep. And the Jeep was falling apart. <laughs> but he had a one bedroom apartment and he had that Jeep. And one of the things that he told me he said, "Look, man, he said you young. 
He said, don't try to become a slave with society and start spending all your money on all these nice cars and so forth. He said, don't worry about that. He said, save as much money as you can. And once you keep saving as much money as you can, it's not about what you make. It's about what you keep. So if you can keep all this money and then whenever you feel like you're ready to retire, you'll be living like a fat rat. Cause now he just bought like, you know, um, he, he bought a Lexus the year he retired and then he just bought a, uh, he just bought an F two fifty. Uh, so he working, he did the ant thing. Yeah. He did the ant thing. And, and he knew that he was just going to store everything up cause there was going to be a season where he didn't want to work instead of where he can't work. He decided he was going to do it when he didn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And since he doesn't have to work now, he's like, look, I'm like, I'm still looking for this house. Obviously I'm going to pay for this house cash. I got my truck. I get everything I need. I don't have to work. Just the basics. Just the basics. And and he can he can travel every day if he want. I mean, he's sitting nice. Yeah, he's sitting like some NFL players nice. Well, the the experience is really what we're after anyway, right? It's yes. not the things; it's the experience we want. Because mm-hmm. that's because life is a journey and it's never ending. Yeah. As soon as you feel like you've reached the peak as far as how far you're planning on going in life, then that's when you, that's when your life no longer needs to exist. Yeah, that's that's the uh, you know I'll be okay when people you know the if I can just get if I'll just get there. You know, then it'll be okay after this, you know, instead of really kind of enjoying that whole ride, that whole curious adventure that we're really all on. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, and that's why they say, look, man, life's a journey. Um, Embrace every experience. That's why anytime somebody tell me what they want to do, I say, do it. They're like, well, you're not telling me not to. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you not to. Um, And I want you to, I want you to have as many experiences as you can, because through those experiences, you're going to learn some valuable lessons. That's the knowledge. And, and yeah, and, and is it going to either be revealed to you or somebody's going to teach it to you and it's going you're going to find yourself listening to people who don't really understand a philosophy because they haven't had a chance to live it. Um, great example is in, in a lot of colleges, people stay at these colleges for years and they graduate from these colleges with their masters and they're only teaching concepts and principles. Now, if you tell them, okay, so look, so your so your life did so your life is going to depend on this concept and principle that you're teaching. Do you believe it? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and if your concept and principle is wrong, we're going to kill you. Ooh. Do you think they'll teach it? Hmm. No. They because they haven't experienced it. Right. But if you go to somebody who's been in the workforce and they say, "Look, that just looks good on paper." <laughs> yeah. That's not reality, and uh. And that's what it really boils down to is when you go through these experiences that life is trying to teach you, it's there to help you grow. It's, help to, it's there to help you develop. And the more you continuously develop, then the higher level of self you'll become. And all the problems that once seemed like mountains, you've developed so much that you don't even, they look like speed bumps. Now, oh, well, there's a little obstacle. Let me go ahead and just hop over this. Oh, that's, that one's done. Now let's keep moving because you've grown and you've developed so much to where it doesn't even affect you. Hmm. Um, so you learn how pro- you've learned how to process how to learn long enough that you actually begin to learn that problems aren't really problems. That problems actually become opportunities. That's it. That's what every pro- every problem is really an opportunity. Yeah, and, and I mean, and we say that a lot, you know, in, in the practice that we do. And that's I'm I'm glad you say that, man. You're uh, not that anyone needs to validate my existence, but <laughs> you're you're, <laughs> you're validating some of my book for me, man. Because you know my that you know whole theory that I write about is because I fucking lived it. And, you know, I, I pitched that theory back when I was trying to be all academia and before I called it the cognitive rampage approach, right? And it was all this transrational structure behavior theory, right? 
and these psychiatrists would start to fucking point holes at my theory and be like, well, where's the empirical data, this kind of shit, or doctors, you know? And I'm like, you're fucking looking at them. You're looking at the empirical <laughs> data. And how... How do I know this fucking book and this shit works? Because I fucking lived it. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So I, I, I know this works. And if I had to give my speech and say that, you know, does the cognitive rampage approach work? I would do it and risk my life every day to do so, you know, to, to put that much on it. But there's a secret in the book. I, I talk a lot about my book. Honestly, it's coming out in January. It drops January 18th. And so I talk about it a lot right now and I'm in the middle of it. Right. But there's something that I haven't talked about ever that I said that I would talk about on the podcast with you right. after our spiritual conversation today, and then I'll bring that up now. And I don't talk about it much, man. Uh, like I said, I avoid talking about any kind of spiritual relationship with anything, whether that's the cheesy notion of the idea of spiritual, because that, that word itself is played out a lot. You know, it can mean a lot of things. Right. And I keep what I believe really private a lot, unless it's about religion. I'm pretty outspoken about what I think about that sometimes. But there's a surprise in the book, and it's in. It talks about how much a shift. Uh, I talk about a a spiritual rampage, and I talk about something that happened to me. Two things that happened to me in the book, uh, and as much as I talk about and you know rip ideas of religion and stuff apart from all angles, you know, and and then I'll tell you, you know, the things I told you about my mushroom experiences, etc. Mm -hmm. I say these things, and I don't talk about it much, you know, but. It's hard for me to believe that this cognitive rampage, because I, I believe in living a cognitive rampage, right? It's just not this approach. And I've, and I've, I've said it a million times before about, you know, a cognitive rampage is living this daily idea of enthusiasm by chasing this thirst and this need for competence, but expressing this humble idea that I can learn from anywhere at any time at anything. And that what I believe is really my reality. And so I cognitively rampage into my life right chasing enthusiasm as if it's the water and oxygen i need and so before i got to living this idea the same way you talk about that we talked about on the phone that idea of chasing the want that the want to know chasing the knowledge that competence my brother i went on a spiritual rampage Something happened to me one night, randomly, nothing happened, no catalyst event, your typical, I'm off of the nightclub for the night, close the doors, go home, and I have a, a moment. I don't even know what to call it to this day. Even in the book, I try to dance around what to call it, or I say, call it this, I don't know. But I still can't explain it. Even when I give my speech about what happened to me that night, I don't think I could have found my cognitive rampage. And because I went on walkabout after that. That one night, within a couple of days, I just kind of dipped. I went out to New Mexico. I went to Tennessee. I drove to the Keys, took a job in construction. I was a nightclub GM, and I left it all to go dig holes in the limestone airstrip and sleep on a linoleum floor with four other construction workers. You know what I mean? This is I left it all to go do that. And so I had this spiritual rampage, and I talk about more in the book, dude, but I don't think that the cognitive rampage could have happened. I don't know. You know, I really don't had that spiritual rampage had never happened to me and there was no catalyst event either nothing happened you know what i mean i just was there one night and then i wasn't there the next night um, <laughs> my friends know i just disappeared for a while they would tell you any of my friends that are listening to this comment why they'll come on on facebook like, yeah dude you just bounced i was this ghost <laughs> one day man <laughs> you know and so I, I when i'm listening to you you're obviously living your life in a cognitive rampage. I mean, the way that we talk, you know, because now you're talking to kids, you're in schools, you do growth development. I mean, you're the fucking man, dude. You're, you are living that. You are living 
everything you talk. And I'm looking for your spiritual rampage. You know, what was your spiritual rampage that pushed you into this cognitive rampage that you're on kind of now? Man. You didn't see that shit coming, did you? (laughs) All right. um, You asked at the beginning of this podcast what it was that, you know. So um, here's my spiritual rampage. I learned growing up. Let me rephrase that. I didn't learn growing up. Um, I was programmed growing up. Um what Christianity was. I was too. And are you all right? You doing all right? I'm yeah. I'm trying to get over it still. Well, I'm I'm good. I you know, I've, I've figured it out. I'm just throwing um, I'm throwing the humor in there. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so so it's like a so yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a, it's one of those deals where you become aware that what they were teaching you wasn't true. And that opened my eyes. And once that opened my eyes, I get upset because I see people constantly putting the truth on the cross. So they're abusing the truth. They're putting they're putting uh, swords on the side of the truth. They're feeding the truth vinegar with a sponge. They're nailing his hands and feet and they're trying to hide the truth. And once you realize that we are spiritual beings first and if somebody ever wants to get rid of you, the first thing they can do is kill your will by killing your soul. So if your soul is disconnected from its source, now single handedly, they can control the rest of you because you don't have that intuition that feeds you. You don't have that, that spiritual intuition that's going to feed you truth when you really need it. Like when you're lost, you're broken. Yes. So, you know, um, once I realized what the truth was from um, from making sure that you build your personal relationship with God, because you don't need a middleman to the idea of people telling you that you need to type and the the what you call it. Uh, what do they call that type of preaching that people really get upset about? Evangelistic. Like uh, the evangelist preaching uh, or when they say you're going to get more money. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's e- e- evangelist. Yeah. Um, getting the money, getting you the. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. It's another word for it, though. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Prosperity preaching. Oh, that's the first for me. Yeah. So so they so people keep preaching prosperity. And the reality is, is, is uh, it's not like you can't go in with blind faith. So people really um, bottleneck your spiritual growth because they expect for you to depend on them. So they make themselves your source. And until you get from under that or until you become aware to know, look, man, um, I have a relationship with the most high or with Yahweh or Allah or whatever you want to call them. You said something cool as shit to me when do you said, I loved it. Guy walked up to you and go, Hey buddy, God told me to come over here and tell you something. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, and, and what did you say? And I looked down, I was like, well, that, that, that can't be true. Yeah, you're like you, why? So, because I talk to God every day. You said you're either this or you're either this. Yeah, you, so you're you're either you're either a false prophet or your creative side just got the best of you. <laughs> that was what you said. Or your creative side just got the best of you. Because <laughs> when it's when it's all said and done, um, I have a relationship with God, and my relationship with God allowed me. To, man, I've been celibate for six years, for almost six. In February, it'll be six years of celibacy. What? Now, I'm not a bad looking guy. 
No, uh, no. And, you're and, handsome. And I feel like I can still pull them. In fact, I know I can still you're pull them. You're handsome as it comes. What's the deal? Well, the, here's the deal. That's a choice. Yes, it's, it's definitely a choice. Six years. Si- almost six years. It'll be six years in February. You're a fucking beast, bro. But the deal is this. Everything that I do, I don't do without God. You're still I, a beast. Six I, fucking years. It's easy to My do. My choice. It. It's easy to do it without God. It's easy to do it when you got God. Dude, I can't barely make it six hours. Hey, well, that's why you're married. <laughs> that's right. Well, she can be a poor girl. <laughs> no, I mean, my hat's off to you, dude, because look, I honestly, I wish I could tell you people listening that, well, they'll see a picture of you anyway when we post it for the podcast. So, yeah. I mean, I'll let them judge. But look, you know what I mean? Like, so this is an honest, wow. Yeah. Impressive, so, sir. And, and, and it's really just, you got to remember, man. Was it like, just to see if you could do it? Uh, nope. It was, it was because, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you are a vessel, and when you're God's vessel, you know, Floyd Mayweather has cars, right? Mm-hmm. How many different cars does Floyd Mayweather have? Fuck no, I don't know. And what do, are his cars expensive? Yeah. Are they fast? Yeah. So could you say that they're high performance vehicles? Sure. And would Floyd Mayweather let any one of his cars just look like a a, a 1965 um, station wagon? If he had some suburb soul, maybe. <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> And that's that's, that's but no, I'm yeah, with that's you. stretching it. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm with oh, you. I yeah. noticed I said suburbs, so <laughs> right. Oh. I mean, if you're a National Lampoon's type guy, you know, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so it's so when you look at it and you realize that you're supposed to be an agent or whoever you're supposed to represent. So if you're supposed to represent God, um, you have to give Him all of who you are, and once you give Him all of you, then He'll start He'll start tweaking and working and fixing things off little by little. And, you know, well, I'm telling you right now, some people are also trying to wrap their head around how you started it by saying everything you learned in Christianity was wrong. It was lying. And I, I liked how you opened that, to be honest, how you started that <laughs> and then linked it, you know, to the religious, you know, the ex-religious part, but the spiritual side of you, really. Right. Because because uh, people, they they're not they don't become students. And you can't become a student if you don't learn how to learn. God dang, brother, we keep searching all the way back to your fucking original statements. Yes. You got to learn how to learn. Yes. I tell you, you may be on to something with this shit, man. Because here's the deal. Um, That's true. We're so busy shoving, memorize this, kids. Memorize this. Memorize this. That Memorize this so the teacher can keep his job and my grade is good. You know, But instead of going critically think about this and tell me what you think, you know, or, or you know, you're, it's true. You don't really... Man, that's a concept to really grasp is knowing how to learn because you really they really don't go to school to know how to learn. They kind of go to school really to get robotically played. Mm-hmm. And they do that in, 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 the, in the colleges, too. Um, but it's just true. But, you know, just just to jump back on onto the onto the spiritual stay there, side. Stay there, yeah. Um, you, you spiritually rampage my brother as long as you want. And you need to, <laughs> man. Just go so, off, man. So it's, it's like once I became aware of that Christianity is spiritual and it's a philosophy and it's not Judaism, which is the old Testament. Then it made more sense to me to really understand the spiritual realm, which is why they say walk by faith, not by sight. So you you talked more about a personal relationship, right? So when you have that personal relationship with the most high or with your spiritual father, then that's how I grew I began to develop once I built my relationship with my spiritual father. So he poured into me spiritually. It cascaded down into my mental realm and physically everything is starting to manifest. 
I mean, it sounds like a notion of humility, really. The, the minute you became humble, you know, you gain competence. Yes, and, and, it's, and it's one of the best things that you can ever do because when you're not humble, you're closed-minded. You think you know, you think you know more than what you need to know, and you feel like, and you're not meek. And, and what do they say? The the person that says they're humble automatically cannot be humble just right. by saying it, <laughs> right? You, like, and you just you have to let somebody else watch you and and see how you and see how maybe you humility is more of a practice right maybe it's practicing humility instead of just being humble right yes yeah and maybe that fits better it, it does um because most of us we you know we, we grow up with different with distorted concepts and principles you think you have to be cocky or you have to be um prideful yeah. i mean look take pride in how you look but don't be prideful in who you are because it can be taken away from you any day. Boom. Any day, any second, any moment. Um, Book of Job is great for explaining that to you. Yeah, that'll do it. And so, I it's mean. kind of fucked up. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, you know. it is fucked up he did that to Job. I mean, come on. I get it. It's not the end. I get it. It's only temporary. I can. I get all your explanations and metaphors from the Christian side. I get it. It's still fucked up. It is. That's your boy. And he was like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna fuck my boy up just for a little bit. I'll show you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I and, wouldn't and do that to my best friend. You, you, but you do it and don't even know it. Oh, you fucker! Do I? I we probably, all do I it. probably do. Because, because here's the deal. Um, you, you may. All right. Um, let's let's. Oh, I can't use him because he may not want to be. All right. Uh, yeah, you can't talk about <laughs> him. You got. Well, you can call him the truth. Okay, well, so we're going to call him the truth. That's, right. that's what he always went by, so he'll know who he's talking about. And we're not talking about God or nothing like that, all right? This isn't some boogie-boogie look to the truth. This is an actual person. That's his nickname. Yeah, so 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 let's do it like this. The truth. We know the truth, right? And we know if you put the truth in a certain situation, he's going to perform a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that at a very pivotal time in my life when someone was very upset at me. And I was kind of like, hey, truth, guess what's happening? And the well, person wasn't upset at me anymore. Because <laughs> the truth going to go check them. Yeah. Heartbeat. And, and and here's the deal with the truth. You like the truth is always going to show the truth is being the truth. The truth is going to be consistent no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you can sit back and be like, let me tell you something. If you go to the truth and do this. Go buy some new teeth. Yeah, yeah. You're going to lose them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or um, or before you made the transition, you were like, I'm going to test the truth to see if the truth can handle it. Mm. The same way God tested Job to know that Job was going to keep his faith and Job, and Job was going to be faithful with it. All right. Now that we're there, this part always bothers me. And since you're a spiritual connection guy, we're going to go there. All right. Okay. Um, some people may turn this fucking podcast off by now. I don't know. Yeah. All right. But I want to know that always bothered me. Right. The tested love thing is this idea of testing a love to see. Now, I'm not so sure that if I'm looking at unconditional love, that if the wife I wanted to be with sent me like the hottest chick I've ever seen in my life, set me up, you know, got me drunk with my friends and then sent me some girl just to see if I would, you know, and then if I pass that test, she'll marry me. Or if some guy did it in the reverse, right? He sends the, you know, her creates her fantasy for her, you know, right? And let's deceive, let's see what she'll do, right? And then is that somebody you really, is that love? Is that unconditional? Because it's not, right? Because it was just conditional love. 
So is it testing for unconditional love? And so my idea was, if I'm graded by my heart, if that's how I'm judged anyway, then why do you got to fucking test me? You already know. Well, the thing is, is you never really know. Mm. You're saying it's mo- it's it's you, in the moment. You have to test the qualifications and you got to give things stress tests. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a great example. I knew you would. Uh, eagles. Female eagles choose their mates. But they'll start off with a small twig, fly high in the air, drop the twig, and as long as the as long as the male eagle catch it, then she'll go grab another one, which may be a little larger, and then she'll keep going with this with Hold this up. with this commitment. Hold up, what? Did you just educate me on bald eagles? What the fuck happens? Well, yes. So so fem- so female eagles, they'll drop a twig, so they'll pick up a twig, fly high in the air, drop it. And it's the male eagle job to go down and grab the twig before it hits the ground. I did not fucking know that. And she'll do that until the log, until it gets to be like a small log and she'll fly as high as she's capable of flying, drop it. And it's his job to make sure that he can swoop down and catch that log and bring that log to a safe place. And that is when she, and that's how she chooses her mate. And eagles are are obviously majestic, and they're at the top of the uh, of the food chain for a reason. They're fucking mean too. And and here's why: um, is because they're prestige animals. And when you're at the top of the food chain, you can only produce with quality. And you don't and you don't want to just you don't want to you don't want to assume that it's quality. You want to test the commitment. You want to test the faithfulness. You want to test. You want to test the integrity of it. That's one of the best fucking arguments I've heard. <laughs> okay, that's one of the best responses to my question of that. I've heard a lot of responses. That's good. Yeah. So that's so, fucked up, though. She just tries his ass. She's got. What would Doctor Phil say? She's got to make sure that dog can hunt. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 that's the other part. Um, when every time you drop that log, it shows how developed he is as far as a producer. Does he learn? Yes. And what and the fuck? She's training him. She's training him. She's like, all right, can I teach this guy? She has to test him because she's going to have offspring with this guy. Mm-hmm. And she has to make sure that that's wild, dude. That, that means you're telling me that the female Eagle is thinking forwardly. Yes. Beyond, I, beyond eat, sleep, fuck fear, fight, flight. You're saying that this Eagle now is thinking forwardly. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's and, awesome. And that's what, Women don't do these days. Women don't test their men. Oh, he's cute. <laughs> he drives a Lamborghini. He has a nice car. Yeah. <laughs> the perception is great. Yeah. But did you see this dude on Facebook with the Lamborghini? What he's doing to the girls? Dude, it's kind of fucking cool. I got to be honest. <laughs> he's he's an average looking guy. You right. know, he's not a bad looking dude. He's not an ugly dude. I think he's the perfect dude to pick for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's in New York. So he's usually in a big city. And he walks up to like a girl or two sitting there. He's very cool about it. He's not a dick, you know. He's not all forceful. He's very nice. Like, hey, just saying hi to you, you know. Talking, would you? Maybe we can get coffee or have a phone call or something one time, you know. And they'll be all like, uh, no, it's okay. And then like maybe I don't know, twenty yards away is sitting his gunmetal painted Lamborghini convertible. And then he goes, you sure? And they'll be like, no, no, fine. They're all rude. And he'll go, okay. And he runs over the Lamborghini and starts to leave. The girls literally run over to the car. And they go, is this your car? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, I'll like, I guess we can go somewhere. <laughs> and so he goes, all right, open the door. And she opens the door and he pulls forward a little bit. You know, does the whole trick. He goes to get in and he's woof, woof. And he goes, can I take a picture of you? She's like, why? He goes, so I can post up what a gold digging bitch looks like. Wow. And drives off. 
but he's doing it the bunches of checks and you see that and mm-hmm. so that's kind of that idea that you're talking about is you know they're not even you know they're really just kind of saying hey does he have this log if he's got this log then great let's go with it yeah instead of testing all the rest of them so it's kind of funny does he have this log all right Jesus right, you Christ. see what we did, see, did you, see what what just you, you noticed what i said didn't i see you? where you went with it <laughs> why didn't you why didn't you catch me are you are we telling women now to check the log they should they always go? check the log anyway <laughs> <laughs> it just got real non-spiritual up in this motherfucker listen man it, there's there's a physical component that that women need to be met sure sure and, but you're i love that idea though right they're forward thinking and they're and they're missing that mm-hmm. so so many women haven't been developed to be aware of what the real definition of a man is or if he has the qualities to even commit some women still get with guys who have three and four kids by three and four different women and they see he's dropped every log, and they still take him. Hell, they hand him a log, and he drops it. Right. So when you see this, and it goes back into our education system, and it goes back into our kids, to where these women haven't been forward thinkers as far as why they're stuck with uh, fatherless households, and it's because they haven't tested the man. Because when you have sex with somebody, what people don't know is it's a it's a uh, it's a physical agreement. So it's it's symbolic. So the physical agreement is symbolic to what happens mentally and spiritually. So when a female opens her body, opens her life up to a man and she invites him inside of her life, basically what she's saying is, okay, um, I'm being submissive to you and I'm hoping that you're going to fix everything that's going on in my life. Well, and you know, you I got to hand it to the single moms out there that are swinging it on their own. You're fucking superheroes. Yeah, and I had to steal it, bro. I say it. I say it all the time. <laughs> but they really fucking are the single and the single dads. You know, there's a friend of mine. Shout out to you out there, Roland. I hope you keep swinging, buddy. You know, he's a single dad and he's doing it on his own because they exist too. And you know, we're at fifty percent divorce rate, right? So you got daughters and sons. They come up without seeing that, and so it is a tough survival as a single mother and a single man or a single father. And so when kids, like you're saying, they're modeled for them, their mother or father. Who then becomes so codependent on someone else for money, for bills, for food, or just to be there that they just invite everyone in constantly. And so the kid then watches, okay, this is what you do. And that becomes a new normal. And I know it sounds cliche as fuck, but it's true. I mean, and, and what I'm also vouching for, too, are those single mothers and single father homes that do do it, that that make it, that that really show. I mean, hell, my wife, you know and raised my daughter uh she's adopted i adopted morgan but she's really blood you know pretty much with just her and her mom her and her granny for you know the seven seven some eight years and then i come in at nine years old and i take over so you know at 15 but without that influence brother i'm telling you there would have been a, a different daughter in that room yeah had i not shown up at nine years old you know and and you see that those kids i counsel you see it and you sit there and where the dad's absent, the mom's absent. They're missing these these models, man. They're they're underdeveloped, as you say. Yeah, and, and here's the deal. Just because you see two parents that walk into a household, it doesn't make them a mother or a father. Bam, get them, dude. I mean, you're from that. I'm from that. I'm from that, too. And, I mean, you know, um, now just just on the, on the, just to, you know, I still honor my mother and my father, and this is what I mean by it. They didn't know any better. So they can only do the capacity of what they've been developed to do. So when they're underdeveloped, then, you know, when when uh, uh, 
T.D. Jakes used this phrase. Uh, how does it go? Mm, been under been underexposed. We make poor decisions based off poor information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And not have the ability to learn on top of that. Right. So every time a situation happens, you don't learn from it. You just have this Manchurian candidate response. Yes. And you keep going through this same cycle. And if you want to break the cycle, you have to pour more information in so that you can elevate the cycle. You have to elevate yourself out of the cycle. And most most parents, they're not aware that they're bad parents because they've never had a carbon copy of knowing what the, what a good parent looks like. That's true. So with my parents, you know, I understand them enough to know what they don't know. So it's easy for me to forget. And I just, I'm, that's the secret to forgiving people is, you know, is to understand what they've been through, understand their dynamics, understand their, uh, their economic, uh, uh, setback or even their, um, the environment that they grew up in. Cause we are a product of our environment. So if you understand the environment, you can understand the person and what they have and what they haven't been exposed to. So it makes it easy for you to forgive somebody when you know they don't know any better. You get a newborn baby and you've never trained this baby on how to be uh, on how to be potty trained. You can't get upset at it every time it pees and poops. Man, we, we are on the same wavelength, my friend. I mean, that what I tell, you know, kids that I work with whose parents are generally pretty bad, you know, or not paying attention, doing it wrong or whatever. And I'll look at them and I'll go, all right, let's say in your neighborhood, the thing to do was walk or run around the neighborhood with your mom or your dad, right? And that's your thing or whoever it is they're upset with, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, that was the thing to do. And everyone did it in the neighborhood, except you couldn't do it because your mom or dad had been handicapped and they were paralyzed from the waist down for a long time by no fault of their own, let's say. Right. Would you be mad at your mother or father for not running around the community with you? Obviously, like, well, no, I, I understand. And I said, so when you're dealing with mental illness, it's handicapped you can't see. So let's just imagine mom and dad are handicapped from the waist down and you're getting mad at them that they're not running around the neighborhood with you. And so I said, look, the only way I can help you here that I know, is, and this comes from my mama, so mom, thank you, which is just what you said, which was empathy turns to indifference, which turns to apathy. It's the only way I know to find acceptance and hopefully forgiveness, you know, is through empathy. And But when you tell that to someone and I go, look, I'm going to need you to have empathy for the one that raped you, okay? Because this is the only way that you're going to get over it. They look at me like, are you fucking crazy? (laughs) I mean, seriously. I mean, this is why a lot of therapists I know can't work with child molesters, right? Because they go, no, fucking kill them right away. But, you know, 80, 90% of them were molested as children themselves. So I can't work with a child molester either. It's difficult. So those that can, how tough, but how do you do that? You got to be able to sit in front of them, right? And say, Hey, they were a baby that just wasn't potty trained. I can't, you know, and over time, the sickness begins to grow, you know, again, for some, they're just fucking sick. Okay. I will just say, take them out back. It's over. You're just too broken. I do. I believe in, I believe in the thing of too broken. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can go too far to where you just go. I'm sorry. This lamp is fucked. I I can't glue this fucker back together anymore. That's, that's because sometimes we only look at it from the mental standpoint. Well, after 65 kid rapes and shit like that, you know what I mean? You start to kind of go, yeah, you're tinkered way off. If if you, because sometimes it can just take one thing that'll change it all. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Because that one traumatic thing. And uh, what's the phrase? Uh, Nothing is beyond redemption. 
Mm. I don't know, man. That's hard to think about. That's because if you're a man, you keep trying to do it with just with just man. You keep missing the primary element. I don't know. Maybe after you've raped enough kids, I'm sorry. I put the bullet in your fucking head. Now let God work it out. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe. You know, I just, I, that sounds so heartless, right? This is coming no, from a therapist. Look, look it's, it's spiritual as I'm supposed to be. Yeah. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done in me. You're still uh, a fucking superhero. Six years without sex. That's only six years. I can't get over that, dude. Just take into account that my spiritual, that my 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 spiritual growth, and my development, and my and my my gifts and talents, and my way of life has changed. So it's either I go for a little piece of snatch and lose it all, or I stay in order, and that's really what happens. Um, I just started living in order. You know, how you got a vending machine, right? And if the and if, if if you put coins in the vending machine and it's not producing the chips or the soda or the cookies that you're asking for, you stop putting coins in it, right? Because mm-hmm. every time you put coins in it and it's and you hitting the buttons, it's not doing what you want it to do. The universe works the same way. If you stop, if you stop living in order, it's going to stop investing in you. <laughs> I like, dude, one of my favorite sayings. I love that, dude. One of my favorite sayings, man. Trust the universe is unfolding as it should. If you make the next right choice, trust me, the universe is unfolding as it should. If you make the next wrong choice, trust me, the universe is unfolding as it should. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and that's that's really, that's a big key to it. How much, I mean, I've, I've said that to people before that are, you know, heavily religious, which I'm not. And I get back from them, they go, hey, man, that's a lot like faith. And I'm kind of like, Fuck. It kind of is, right? You kind of—it's hard not to back away and go, "Well, shit, is it?" And am I just using different words? No, um, there's a difference between. Now, I'll tell you this: um, there's true faith and counterfeit faith. Sure. Like there's true wisdom and counterfeit wisdom. Now, I'd ask you. Now, I heard from a lot of religious folks the way that this goes down is you got to have faith, and then grace comes. And over my life and my experience of anything of this realm, of anything else, I kind of found that, honestly, grace kicks you in the fucking teeth, and then you kind of have faith. (laughs) I mean, that's how I experienced it. You know, the bullet missed you by a fucking quarter inch (laughs) six times, and then you go... What the fuck? Right? You go all Pulp Fiction. You can't help. That's why I love that scene in Samuel L. Jackson. When the dude unloads the fucking 357 right at him and it goes around him. Remember six times mm-hmm. in Pulp Fiction? He has a fucking, whoa, uh, uh, a miracle just happened, right? And he retires from the whole thing. He, he doesn't split the dude's head right at the diner. So when you live through something like that for real, it's hard not to go, holy shit. You know what I mean? You're like, how did that miss me? Right? So you you can't... How you explain that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nick, it's fucking nuts. <laughs> um, what, here's the deal. What's the definition of faith? I don't know. I don't know how I'd define it. Okay. Being sure of what you hope for, but yet cannot see. Sure. Right? Okay, yeah. Okay. So now we're going to break down... It, could that be optimism too? It It, it should be. Mm. Now, now, for one, faith is means that you faith is just a word, but you have to tie faith into something. Right. So if you was to look up faith, remember how faith really works. Um, 
we have faith that Shane is going. Oh, well, all right. Well, so we, we, we have, we have faith that, uh, that Shane would be consistent. You have faith that your wife is going to come home every day after work. You have faith that, uh, that no matter what happens, your car is going to start every day, right? So there you go. So faith is the confidence or trust in a person or a thing or the observance of an obligation from loyalty to a person, promise, engagement, or a belief not based on proof or it may refer to a particular system. Right. Now, the de- said. right. So, so it's like when you think about it, um, there has to be hope. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Hope is always something that should be positive. Okay. Yeah. So being sure of what you hope for, but yet cannot see. I'm with you. All now, right, keep going. Now, first you have to know the what you're having faith in. <laughs> and most people, they don't know what they have faith in. They don't understand the concepts and principles of whatever they have in faith in. They don't. Okay. So most people sit back and say faith, but they don't know God. So when they don't know God, now guess what they decide to do? Oh, I'm just going to have faith that he's going to make it work. But God is always telling you, look, man, this is a bipartisan deal. <laughs> bipartisan. Huh? Um, it's it's yeah, two parties dude, in this. You slick some fucking words. And when you talk <laughs> like you did on the phone today, yeah, go ahead. So, so it's, it's like, this is a bipartisan deal. Um, Gotta, I'm gonna what, do something, right? Yes. So whatever you're asking for, I'm gonna put it at the top of this mountain. Now, there's gonna be some journeys, there's gonna be some obstacles, and there's gonna be some distance that you need to reach before you meet the requirements for this, uh, for this, uh, for whatever it is that you're asking for at the top of this mountain. You got a lot of logs to catch. You definitely got a lot of logs to catch, and you're gonna have a lot of you're gonna have a lot of terrain you're gonna have to get through. And once you get to the top of the mountain, now I'm going to give you a map. I'm going to give you a set of instructions that you need to follow in order to get to the top of this mountain. If you go off path, you're going to still get this object, but you're going to take the you're going to take the long road. It's going to be more difficult for you. So follow this map, follow the set of instructions I give you. And once you get to the top, you'll get everything that you'll, you'll get what you ask for. And that means that, um, Obedience, obedience comes by faith. So once he give you this set of instructions, you follow these set of instructions. Are because they like from Ikea or Sears? That's a bitch. Cause I always fuck that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I always fuck that shit up, man. I, and that's only like six pages. Yes. And I got to follow six pages to put together some bullshit piece of fucking furniture. And now this shit's like 2000 pages written 1200 years later. And I got to, and it depends. No on wonder your, I fuck that shit up. Yeah, and it depends on your level of commitment. <laughs> uh, okay so my effort yes so uh, so your effort plays a role not my performance just my effort yeah because we we're covered not, that look we're never saved by our like our our grace didn't come by performance right right see so fuck even god's kind of talking that shit i'm right. talking you see, you see what i'm saying or so religion i said right so so <laughs> it's so it's it's not so it's spiritual so once you understand the spiritual side you're like look man you look, for one you're human you know your body you know, your body is just a vessel there's a spiritual side of you and you're going through life and life and the part of the journey that you're going through in this physical thing that we can this physical experience that our soul is having is meant to put us on a journey for us to understand some concepts and principles that we need to learn and develop before we move to the next level of life 
shit. Because life doesn't end once your body leaves your soul. And what do you think happens? I think that uh, I can just I can say it. You can say what oh, the fuck you well, want to say, dog. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I think, hell, you can say we turn a little green man. I mean, it don't matter. <laughs> I mean, I, I won't judge you. I, I think no one fucking knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that what happens is uh, based off if you've completed your mission while you were here. Yeah. Because everything has a purpose, mm-hmm. and when purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. The same way how we play video games. And sometimes if we don't pass, if we don't pass that certain level, then he gives, he kind of sends us back to try it again. So you're mixing some Buddha reincarnation in with some Christian afterlife shit. Oh, I dig what you're doing, bro. And, and I like the abstractness. And and sometimes now, if you finish a mission, then like, and this is you know, this is just according to my calculations of how I think. So I'm in. Know, I'm I don't in. want anybody to take this as fact. But if you fulfill your mission and you understand everything that you've been through to where you've developed and you've built that relationship with with the most high to get to this point to where you've become the Gandhi or you've become the self-actualized. <laughs> right. Um, um, but it's, it's just making sure that you hit that spiritual realm to where you built that relationship with God enough to where you have become obedient. Now you graduate. So you never really die. You either graduate or you get set back a grade. You got some inner school issues you trying to work out, dog? <laughs> <laughs> you trying to graduate, man? Hey, man! Look, when I die, I don't want to. I don't want to be in heaven and be in the third and be in the third grade. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to start over, dog. Yeah, I don't want to start the third grade. Oh, I want to be. In, I want to be in college. I want to at least be oh, be, be part of the master's program. I like what you say. I mean, I've. I, we often, you know, no one really knows. I don't give a shit if the most religious person out there tied me down and told me I don't doubt whatsoever, then we'll fuck you, okay? You're just, you're delusional. We all wonder, you know, what happens or think it time to time, whether it was 10 years ago or what you believe now right. or concretely believe. I used to, I still joke around and go, what if what happens at the end is whatever you think happens? So if you think nothing, nothing. You're just done. You you don't get love. You don't get life. You don't get nothing. You know what I mean? What mm-hmm. if it's really got, that's what you thought? That's what it is. Well, you, you remember that story that we talked about, about the talents earlier? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the answer is hidden right in front of you. Ah. So imagine, so imagine if, if all three servants were faithful, what they were given. Cause remember in the story, he says, well, 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 uh, well, my servant, you've been faithful with many things. I'm going to put you in charge of many more. Come and join your master's happiness. Yeah, because I yeah, back when I was going and when I was digging through the pastoral type school stuff, <laughs> I would I would say stuff like, uh, uh, you know, he can't give you anything you can't handle. And if he's giving you a bunch of stuff that's difficult, be happy because something good's coming around the corner. He's testing you to see if you can handle responsibility. Book a joke. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know, that's why I had to walk away, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so just, so just imagine that. So, and, and then, and what if that was a hidden oracle to heaven and hell? Mm. Just imagine that. Imagine if you did what you were supposed to and you were faithful with what you were given and you were productive and you finished your mission. What then? Are you like the ant chilling in wintertime? Yes. So, so, so he says, come and join every day. So come and join your master's happiness. Uh, you've been faithful with very little. I'm going to put you in charge of many more. And for those who aren't faithful, you know what? Put them outside. 
and let them and let them deal with the snarl. Let them get snarled, and let them get abused, and let them complain for the rest of the days of his life. Now you're talking about the Job's older brother, or no, the prodigal son's older brother. I screwed up two stories there. Well, well, we, we're still talking about the uh, the the uh, the stories of the talent. Yeah, the talents so, and the, and the So the talents it references back to that. So when you because like the Bible references itself. And it gives you st- and it, it gives you the concepts and principles in the New Testament of what they were talking about in the Old Testament it's in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever you've been faithful with, you'll be given more. Come and join your master's happiness. That's been in heaven. But you have to live heaven on earth. Hopefully. Yes. So, but, but you have to live heaven on earth before you go to heaven. Mm. So if you're not living heaven on earth. Guess what you're going to have to do? Oh, that's some shit, dog. You're going to have to repeat. You redo it. Have you seen the movie Cloud Atlas? I haven't seen it yet. Watch Cloud Atlas. I, honestly, what scared me is when I watched Cloud Atlas, I thought it was such a good fucking movie. It was a little long. It was a little too long. It was a little slow build up. The beginning is kind of like, holy shit, that's, can we get to it? You know, but Tom Hanks plays like four or five different characters in that movie. And the fact that that movie didn't do better at the box office scared the shit out of me. And then Fast and the Furious 85 does 310 million or something you know what i mean and you're kind of going what the fuck is happening you know what i mean and that that movie it talks about they they reference it as ripples Mm -hmm. and so at one point in your life if this one pivotal choice that you make whether it's to rob someone kill someone give up something help someone right that at this one pivotal choice you make at a moment in your life this ripple effect lasts forever and so as a person you may come back a different person Mm -hmm. you still look kind of the same but your whole different personality and what you do is you keep reliving in a ripple this same personality this same evil and so your body if if that decision based on your existence came from an evil action then it ripples into infinity as you keep reliving this person but you do find there's a way out sort of right. And so as you find out all these people that are living a continuous ripple of multiple lives based on one choice from who knows lifetimes ago, you know, it's fucking wild, man. You know, that this idea, you know, that idea that we have to come back and complete something or have this purpose, this design. (laughs) And that's what grace is really about. It's about saying, I'm not going to get rid of you. Let me give you a second chance. Do this again. Mm. that's why they call it being born again. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, and I'll tell you this is tons of research, uh, scientific included points to the idea that, you know, believing in a religion or a higher power, et cetera, these things become beneficial. And there's even more research out there that links to the positive belief or having a optimistic and hopeful belief, right? These things are real. There's a author that I reference in my book. Um, uh, um, no, oh, it just slipped my mind. I say it all the time. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he writes a book called The Biology of Belief. And he compares this idea. What I think is pretty unique to me is that he's linking that when you believe something, it literally changes your biology, literally. Mm-hmm. And he talks about a mother that has picked up a car before. And did you think for a second that she couldn't pick up the car when she did? Right? It was right. just, it just happens. And so if we're beginning to link a positive belief to actual biological movements, developments, reactions, responses, right? Obviously, we know stress links to the immune system. We're getting this, right? We're starting. I mean, whether you want to call it science, biology, medical, spiritual, it doesn't matter. But it seems that they're all kind of saying the same thing here with different words. 
is that what you think, what you believe, really is the ripple effect filter down to affecting your biology, to affecting how you think, to affecting what you say, mm -hmm. how you feel, right? That it links to this belief, this core positive belief era, which is kind of where faith hangs its hat, right? Uh, it's, it's part of it, um, but but you, you got to also remember, um, you have to have faith in something first. Faith isn't just a word you just throw out there. It's, it's like being in a relationship. Yeah, I'm in a great relationship with what? <laughs> okay. Um, so, so knowing what you have faith in. Yes. So you, you referenced that before. Right. So you must know what you have faith in first. What if I have just faith in self? Then you must learn yourself first. Oh, shit. You're quick. All right. What if I just have faith in someone else to do it for me? Well, then you, for, you must first know who's going to do it for you. And if it's empty, then that's empty faith. It means nothing. It's like empty words. Mm. You, you're, you don't really understand the concept and principle of faith. Mm. So once you understand what you have faith in, then you would know what that, what, what, how, like, uh, then you would know um, what's, what's going to be produced, what's going to be productive from that. Okay. Like, um, I believe, like, I have enough faith in God to know that God has always been faithful and consistent as long as you do what you're supposed to do. And it is shown because for 20, for 28 years, I've struggled my whole life. But works don't get us in, right? According to the no, Bible, right? Um, we can't just do good shit. Faith without works alone is dead. <laughs> yeah. And and not only is faith without works alone is dead, but your intentions, you, you must have the right intentions. And that's something that people miss. Hmm. Um, Intentions, yeah, that's the, huge. The, the the Tower of Babylon, they had the wrong intentions. They wanted to build the Tower of Babylon for the sole purpose of having something to remember them by. Okay, I and, get you. And not the Most High. So the Most High, like, okay, so you're doing this for you? I'm going to make sure everybody here have different languages. You're not going to complete this. Only way you're going to be able to get anything complete is if you have the right intentions and if you're doing it for me. It seemed to apply that way to your life because when you didn't have the right well, when you didn't know what you were supposed to have faith in, when you weren't modeled something correctly, when you didn't see that as a young man and coming up the minute you were able to be shown what to have faith in or a different way to think or be. But I got to be honest, though, man, even talking to you the whole time, it seems like you always just had this something special in you. Like you always had this drive to want to be curious about some shit. You know what I mean? I've met some people, man, that their eyes just look dead or something. You know what I mean? You're kind of talking to them and you're like. You don't even fucking hear me, dude. You know what I mean? I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, are you even looking at me? You know what I mean? You're like the, the, the glazed over look, you know, to where you're like, I think you're fucking half dead in there. Empty. Yeah. And, and I don't know. You just seem to have this push to want to question everything, including yourself, like continuously. You should. Because that's where knowledge comes from. Mm. And and that thirst alone is a blessing. Oh, shit. I would agree. How does one fucking engage that thirst, though? How does someone go from not wanting to seek competence or self-competence or even life experience? Because like we said, you know, competence comes from experience. So, I mean, how does one, how do you really push that? How do you find that? How do you push that drive to go be curious about self in the world? I mean, you do it to kids a lot now. I mean, that's what you do. Um, Man. That's the first question I haven't been able to just answer just off the fly. Um, I well, it fucking took me 10 minutes to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd still be on sentence one, bro. I mean, my, was there even a question that shit? I don't know. Well, well uh, the reality is, is, is when 
when you become aware that something isn't right, you want to know what's right. The awareness. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like, like we're, we're in the age of Aquarius. Yeah. So when you look at the galaxies and universe and astrology. Oh, yes. I, don't, I didn't think that was till 2150. I thought we're in Pisces right now. Dual, dualism. No, we're in the you age sure? Of, I believe so. Dual. Check on that one. Well, you, you check on it. Well, we're in the age of Pisces. Um, yeah. Because um, I remember the Mayans, they ended the calendar. Right. Pisces. We're definitely on two fish. Dualism. So. Right. Uh, the Pisces is two fish, right? Aquarius. No. Well, 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 Pisces is then, but now we're in Aquarius. So we're in the All age right. of grace again. All right. I got to check, dude. I'm telling you. Let's check it. 2150 is Aquarius, man. I don't know. What age are we in? I guess that would be the. What would you Google, right? What age are we in? What uh, constellation age or uh, zodiac? That's what I was looking for. What zodiac age? Oh, it's searched. <laughs> it's it's linked up. Some astrologers claim the age of Pisces is the current age, and that they believe that will remain so for another six hundred years. What's what's two thousand fifteen plus six hundred? I don't fucking know. 2015 I, plus 600, 2,615. All right. So 2000, so 2615 is what they're calling. And I've heard 21. No one fucking knows. Right. I've heard this is the same idea. What happens to you when you die? No one fucking knows. Well, well, right? well the thing is, is you got to think about what type of astrology is that's coming from. Yeah. Um, cause if the, you, the age of Aquarius begins when the March, March equinox points out the constellation of Pisces and into the constellation Aquarius. So that's basically it's when March is when it's at. You know who knows a lot about this shit? It's my daughter. She, she does? yeah, she doesn't like. She, she plays with it. It's fun, you know, for her. She's not all into the idea, but it's it's fun. Who doesn't like to kind of read their shit once in a while? Like, that's kind of yeah. creepy, cool. <laughs> Hell, you read enough of them, they all start to sound the same, don't yeah, they? Do they just go off your personalities? Yeah, I mean, although the Gemini one is kind of weird. It's it, although they do talk about a lot of them have dual. You know, they'll really only say the Gemini has the twins. Right. But if you read a lot of them, a lot of them kind of talk about, well, there's this kind of, you know, Virgo, this kind of, right? So you're yeah. kind of saying, all right, we're getting a lot of the... Because you, you, it's, it's, it's a split. Right. So um, from the first part of the Virgo to the second part of the Virgo. Um, but it, And honestly, that only relates to you to a certain point. If you, it depends on your life experiences that you go through as well, or how you've been raised and how you've been uh, genetically programmed, or inherit, or what you've inherited, um, as far as knowledge. But, um, yeah. but it's, but I, I just, you know, um, from understanding um, comedic um, truth, is it goes to the idea of we're now like we've just finished the age of law, mm-hmm. now we're in the age of grace. And we just came out of the age of Pisces. Now we're coming into the age of Aquarius. The, the polarities of the Earth is, is are they're, they're currently changing. Mm-hmm. So we're in the age of the polarities changing. And guess what happened when the polarities change? Melts. Ice melts. Age of Aquarius. Right. That's what we're and, coming upon. Right. And that's just the physical part. Mm-hmm. Now when you get into the mental part, now we're in the age of information. So we're in the information age. Well, you know why I used to argue this Pisces idea, right? Which is the two fish, right? The Pisces, mm-hmm. the two fish. The reason I, um, I've, I, well, I've heard it. I want to say the reason I argued it. I'll parrot a lot of the things that I've heard and, and read is just the age of, of, and it fits, is the, because it's two fish, what you have now is this dualism, mm-hmm. is everything. And when you look at it, what do you see? You see Christian, Muslim, Republican, Democrat, poor, 
rich, right. right? You start to see this idea, this everything is this dualism team thing, right? It's it's like two versus everything. The balance. Right. And so right now, everything is at this dual idea. You're either on this side or you're on this side. Either you want to build the wall or you don't build the wall. Either you fucking hate Donald Trump or you think he's the fucking next messiah, right? Everybody is so on one team or the other. You know, that's really what you're seeing here right. is the choice of team almost. And so that's why I used to talk about, yeah, the age of Pisces. We're in dualism. The polar ice caps, the same. That is so cool, dude. <laughs> where the fuck did you hear that? That's so neat that, that you're like, I love hearing. I, I, maybe if I heard where I'm parroting it from, maybe it'd be the same. I do research. That's so cool, man. So when you, when you, when you constantly, when you, um, Jay-Z said, uh, the most dangerous man is a self-educated man. So when somebody can't program you and you can go seek and find truth and your level of discernment. So discernment is when you can see through deception. So when somebody can no longer fool you, now you've become the most dangerous man because they can't use you the way they want to use you. I would agree. How many people in America need to wake the fuck up? It's it's happening. We're in the age of Aquarius. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you here, brother. That I do think, dude. I do I do think something's happening. I do think there's a wake up period happening. You know, a, a lot of times I can sound pessimistic and hell thumb through Facebook for an hour and see if you think the world's doing well, right? You you can tend to think, well, these families are doing great, but as a whole, God, and you know, <laughs> someone's being killed, mauled, shot, stopped, right? You, you can't even get through social media without going, what is? <laughs> What's happening? You know, and but I do think, though, at the same time where this may be happening, I also do think this younger generation is waking up. Mm -hmm. I think the smaller, the, the smaller generation, listen to me, I always call them midgets. I, I think the even the younger generation behind my daughter's generation, I think there's this. And, you know, I, I think they're waking up, like you said. And I think it's because that competence is at the touch of a finger now. Yeah. And that's 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 a big key because now they're gaining knowledge. So they're becoming aware. And I know that now, because when I talk to kids, my whole goal is to make them aware. Um, my the way I speak, it's a format. Is it's a <laughs> it's layers to it. But the first part is problem, connection, solution. So first, I I I make the I make them aware of the problem. To make somebody aware is to get them knowledgeable about the problem. I think you just answered that question you said you couldn't answer. Remember, I was like, so how do you start with the kid? And you're like, I don't know. I couldn't. I, you do know. You do it. it was, Awareness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you, 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 you are good. Because <laughs> <laughs> to me is. Uh, Thank you, by the way. <laughs> you said, hey, man, you're, you're pretty fucking good here. Because yeah, yeah. you, you, you asked questions to until I, I came to the answer. Ah. No shit, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because I, I, I kind of, I kind of just, re, I kind of just let the question go. Yeah. And then you just brought it back and were like, "Well, Mike, listen, that's how you do it. You do know. <laughs> now I'm aware of it. Um. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> and now the same thing you teach the kids. Now I know the science behind it. Oh, dude, you're the fucking man. I'm not the man. You're the fucking man. I just have my moments because you did the hard part. You know what you did? You actually listened. That's that's the key. Now we're just trading fucking butt slaps back and forth on the field, aren't we? Now iron, we're just like, good job, man. <laughs> iron sharpening iron right here. This is a beautiful thing. 
Well, I, I have an advantage. Uh, I deal with ADHD and hypomania, and I've had a cup of coffee, and you're sitting in my cave, so my ability to focus and go for hours <laughs> is pretty much mentally disturbed. So I have an advantage on you. You happen to be so much more controlled than me that you cannot have sex for six years. That makes you way more controlled than me at the moment. So it's why after how long has the podcast been now? Um, it's why after two hours and three minutes and ticking six seconds, I can keep going. And you're like, can I fucking pee? Oh, I'm fine for now. But, uh, but so, but here's, here's, here's the, here's the reality. Um, well, you were telling us, you tell me about the kids, how you approach them. I, and before I rudely fucked you up. Okay. Um, awareness. Yeah. So, so awareness, um, make sure that, that you set, you set a base form, a base of understanding. And that base of understanding would be their foundation. Then you bring the connection and their connection is always a story. And once you bring that story in, then they can sit back and say, yeah, well, that relates to my life a lot. Then you bring a solution. Now you've just completed a complete cycle of knowledge. So now they just added another ring onto their head as far as how they can protect themselves and, and the whys and, and the hows. Because kids are always asking, well, why? And if you don't answer the why, then they don't care. Uh, so can you tell me why? Uh, well, well, why do we need algebra? Well, you need algebra because I'm, I'm, I'm conditioning you to make sure that you know how to manage money. Because when you have two cars, you got to sit back and say, okay, so now I have two cars, two car insurances. Um, how am I going to make sure I know what I need to make per month to get this? And it's basic math and it's basic uh, financial literacy that you need to understand on the idea of it's not what you spend, it's what you keep. And if you don't know how to keep anything, you're constantly spending everything. Now you're putting yourself in this cycle of being a slave. So you're going to be a slave to luxuries. And you're going to be a slave to how people look at you. You're going to be a slave of people's opinion of you. And you're never going to be free because you're going to constantly owe people. And if you want to stop owing people, learn how to manage money. And money is just all numbers. Money doesn't really exist. It's just a bunch of numbers that people put together on keynotes of how you've managed your time within a certain time frame. Whether you've put in enough um, tools, information, material or energy within a month to get and transfer that into a check. So if you don't have the financial literacy and if you don't have the if you don't have the capacity, which means you need algebra, you need to learn how to read. You need to learn how to write so that once you write these numbers down, you can plan your future ahead on paper. And once you plan it out on paper or you just prepare for your future on paper, it doesn't matter what happened to you because now you prepared for it. So instead of going out and feeling like you need to spend um $600 a month on getting your hair and nails done because you're just thinking that, oh, it's just money. I'll make this again next week. You can sit back and say, well, if I save this $600 every month at the end of the year, now I'm sitting at $7,200. $7,200. I can definitely put that towards the house for my next 10 years. And now I've just paid off for two thirds of my house. By dropping $7,200 in 10 years instead of getting my hair done. And if you just simply do the math like that, you need algebra for that. <laughs> now, by now, the kid that asked you why is like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, <clears throat> as I, excuse me, as um, I kind of, as I wrap up podcasts, I ask generally about the three same questions to people. And... <clears throat> You kind of answered one already as, as you as you went off, man. As 
as I use it from psychology, it's called the miracle question. Mm -hmm. And the miracle question is to you is if, if you went to sleep tonight and you woke up and a miracle happened, what will it have been? That's a, I don't know. <laughs> Cause miracles happen to me every day. Yeah. So if you woke up tonight and something in the world or something in your life and you went to sleep and, and, and overnight this miracle happened and you woke up in the morning, what, if it could be, what, what would you hope to have that miracle would have been? Hmm. That's a serious question. I'm going to have to think about this question. Yeah. And then you'll come back on and talk about it. Um, please. Definitely. All right. But good. you know, I, you know, that's the question. Wee. <laughs> that, um, uh, that question comes from uh, I'm giving the shout outs to it's from solution focused brief therapy it's called the miracle question and a lot of life coaches have taken it like it's their shit too but it's right out of therapy I mean it's, and it's a real question to think about you know when you really sit down and go you know what you know it's interesting it's hard it's it'll be it'll have to be more than it'll, it'll be a compound miracle you you like you like this idea of interconnectedness. You really <laughs> like this domino effect idea into everything because everything happens in phases. And I thought you were going to say everything's connected. I mean, everything is connected. Yeah, but you know, uh, we you got to understand it. And if you don't understand, like, there's a physical science that we understand, and the reason why science, why physical science is now starting to understand, it's not now starting to ask for spiritual science is because of the fact that the spiritual science is the most real of all realms. That's the first dimension. And brother, and God, I got to tell you, it, it, you know, you hear this, right? And there's tons of intellectuals and academias out there, right? And I'm going to have to say that I think you're absolutely fucking right because I'm such a believer in psychedelic treatments because I'm, I've seen it happen uh, because I see that and I know there's a spiritual aspect of psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a guy out there who I think is w one of the best mentors I could possibly have, virtual mentor Tim Ferriss. And he's a very academic, doesn't even like saying the word spirituality in any sense, you know what I mean? Um, and he experienced a psychological or a psychedelic experience. And even him, it was difficult for him not to admit this some level he couldn't even describe it right this is one of the smartest guys i know and he's at a loss for words to describe he didn't want to say it you, you i'm listening to him going just fucking say it tim i was like you he would even say well i don't want to say spiritual because it's played out right and i would be like just say say it and he just couldn't say it of whatever this idea is right this this what you said is 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 science tapping into a spiritual science almost now right. and you see it meditation you see all these ideas coming back yeah because think about it um we first started off by just physical science now they're playing around with the word um metaphysical <laughs> or an epigenetic for the uh, environmental influence to our development in genetic code sure you got it and now they realize that there's three parts to us we're physical mental and spiritual so if we're physical spiritual and mental guess what that means then that means in order for something to be physical it has to be a dimension for it to exist and if there's a mental then it must be a dimension for it to exist and if it's spiritual then it means it must be a dimension for it to exist or it cannot exist so when you start studying your chakras your chakra goes from the root to your mental, which is going to be your solar plexus in your heart and your throat. 
And then you're going to start getting into your spiritual, which is going to be your third eye and your crown. So there's three dimensions to us, but we have to tap into our vibrations of our spiritual realm. And this is just what I'm thinking just off. And this is just it's just coming to me. So, I mean, don't quote me or quote me on it if you want. I'm fine with it. But um, the psychedelic experiences is when your penile gland becomes uncalcified. That's your gland that allows you to reach inside the spiritual realm. So right. when people start talking about the third eye, right. your penile gland is active. That's your spiritual gland. So from your spiritual gland, as it becomes active, it vibrates. And it can either vibrate at a low frequency or it can vibrate at a high frequency. And the higher the frequency, the higher of wisdom or the higher the higher uh, source of knowledge that you're tapped into. Mm-hmm. So the more you start learning from that source, then you no longer look at man for knowledge mm. because you understand the physical realm. Yeah. What I tell you, the three things most people that I've dealt with with psychedelics say when they come out of uh, a session is first they tell you, man, am I full of shit? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing they tell me is they go, God, I've been so full of shit. And they're like, man, this, this Wow. I, I need to stop being so full of shit. And then they go, religion's bullshit and God is real, Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of people doing these sessions. You know what I mean? And that's just the three common things that I hear. That's not me saying it's not subjective. That's just what you hear, right. you know? And, and the same, you know, that same idea is that, that I would have to agree, you know, mm-hmm. to this point as I've been in those situations myself. And it, it does though, right? It seems like we're almost headed there. They're pulling, these ideas are almost recirculating. I gotta be honest. It sounds like they're coming back to my people. Sounds like they're coming back to my Native American people. <laughs> that we're kind of going. Look, we're all connected. We're all one. You don't own that. What do you mean fence? Right. What the <laughs> fuck is a fence? Right. We didn't have a word for fence. You know. And it was like you own the land. What? You can, you can't do that. <laughs> you, yeah. You can't. You can't own what's never been yours. Yeah. Because it's not yours. There's a creator. Until you create it, it's never yours. So you didn't create the land. What'd you get the space for? What'd you get the sand from? <laughs> so you had to steal the sand from somewhere in order for you to create it and to make it yours. And that's just a, that's just a, that's a distorted concept and principle that we choose to accept. And it's the fact that things that we think we own, we think we own. So we put so much stress on trying to take care of something instead of realizing that it's just being leased to us. We've, we our, our shit ends up owning us. Right. And you become a slave to it. Yeah. You know how many people are a slave to a house and a car? Oh, man. Eddie Vedder, man, and his song, um, Society, and another song, Guaranteed, which I love so much, is he says um, he, he f- drives by people living in cages that they bought. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you kind of look at it and go, man, he's like, he goes, I drive by people living in cages that they just, living in cages that they bought, and men that will lay down to wives that they'll never know. You know what I mean? That song guarantees deep. You know what I mean? And I love Eddie Vedder when he's going off, dude. And that's this. Well, you see it. I mean, it seems like it's, it's really coming back to this. I mean, it's not a new thing to be talking mind, body, spirit. I mean, it's been around since the philosopher Siri. You know, we could go all the way back, which many people don't know that that's why they call Siri Siri, by right. the way. It's because the philosopher <laughs> Siri. And, <clears throat> I mean, you can go back to that idea, but it seems to be, other than the 
brief hippie age that almost changed our world forever until you fucking baby boomers got weak and copped out and then ended up buying your suits anyway. You almost had us there. You almost had us at the age of Aquarius, damn it. You had us right there, and now you're the fucking banker. Now you're the fucking guy that <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm putting it out there, you baby boomers. My huge demographic is almost is some of them. So I'm like, hey, now you're guilty. But you almost had us. But it seems like that age is, is there, like the young ones – I mean, I'm even going to take it farther, and I don't want to go religious on this, all right? But this part of it is I'm even seeing how the youngins are even letting go of the idea of male, female, right? It becomes this, I just love you. I don't I don't give a fuck who you are or what you fuck or what you love, that they just kind of love and accept you anyway. Right. Well, well you know, um, there are principles to it, right? Um, look at everything that you have plugged up. You have male part and the female part. Yeah. Right. They're fucking sexist plugs, bro. Can, can it can it be productive if you don't have a male part or a female part? Not the way these sexist electricians built this shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up. I mean, why couldn't I make two male parts and make them work or two female parts and make them work? Because you no longer have a yin and a yang. Yeah. I don't know. These days you can take off your yin and your yang. <laughs> Physically, <laughs> I know physically, you, you can change your yin and yang <laughs> nowadays, man. I don't know Bruce Jenner, guy, I don't know Kardashian Jenner. I mean, he changed his yang, you know. But well, he didn't change his yang. Oh, right, that's right. He kept his. Yeah, well, he just kind of fluffed up his yin. Yeah. He, he, he <laughs> what up the fuck his, are we talking about? <laughs> but 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 here's the reality. Um, that's about life too. Um, when plants produce, they need they need a female and a male. Um. Anytime you have a productive household or you have a stable environment, it's because it's a male and a female. What if it's nature responding because there's so many kids that could be adopted and be given great homes by a, a gay partner, by a, a – there's so many names. I don't even know what they are. There's transgender, transgender, all this, all this stuff that there could be a couple out there that could provide a great home, model some good values, et cetera. You know, first, there's so many kids that are trapped, parentless, you know, and trapped in the shitty system of, of foster care. You know, that what if it's nature recorrected itself is going, all right, we have so many kids that could use great homes and great people, but they're genetically want to be with males or females, right? But they could still provide great homes. I'm just saying, if we could be optimistic, if you could step back and say, maybe let's hope. Since nature does seem to always correct itself. Nature definitely will correct itself. I mean, eventually it's going to wipe us off like a fucking flea. Eventually. As long as we stay in balance, we'll be fine. Um, but if we don't stay in balance, then we'll destroy ourselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think George Carlin talks about this. One of my, oh, I don't have his album up anymore. One of my favorite, philo- he's not a comedian, dude. He was a philosopher. Right. And he used to laugh at the joke at environmentalists. He used to go, these fucking environmentalists are a joke. If they think that they really can kill the earth, they're retarded. <laughs> and he goes, here's the thing. He goes, you can only kill the earth that allows you to live here. Right. And just because you damage the water and kill all the animals and do all the stuff, the earth is still here. Mm-hmm. Give it another billion years and it'll replenish itself. He goes, so you fucking human environmentalists that think you actually make an impact on this fucking earth. He goes, what if your only purpose of existence was to give earth plastic? <laughs> and then now that you've given it plastic, the world has found a way to slowly wipe us off like a fucking flea. And because we are technically, if you look at us, we're like a bacteria that's grown on the earth. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've just kind of spread around it and infected fucking everything. Well, uh, that's kind of fucked up. Isn't it? The thing is, is 
we understand so little and we don't humble ourselves. Like, all right, um, I took this class, um, and this was a little easy class in college. Um, what is uh, Earth Science, mm-hmm. right? Earth, oh, Earth Science, oh, gotcha. So, so they asked, so the question was, and they wanted us to have a debate about it, which is, uh, do you believe in global warming? Like, and I'm like, well, what's your definition of global warming? Right. They're like, well, that, that humans are the one, are the reason why the earth is becoming hotter. And I'm like, you haven't even included some of the factors. Like, for one, we have solar flares. And you don't know how many solar flares hit here. In fact, you don't even know um, how wore down the ozone layer has become or why the ozone layer has become um, worn down or if it's getting thicker or it's when you start talking about all the ice coming from the caps of the North Pole, you're not talking about where all the ice is constantly growing on the South Pole because once again, the polarities are changing. And then not only that, but you also have to take into account that um, when the solar flares are hitting Earth and it's and the Earth is absorbing some of the like some of the heat. You haven't even taken into account that the Earth started off as a big ball of magma. <laughs> it could just be returning to what the <laughs> fuck it was. Right? So, so if it started off as a big ball of magma and it's constantly cooling down, there's no global warming. Stop putting fear in people. It's just happening. It's just what it is. Because I've seen the re- also research where it says, look, if we stopped all our emissions right now, it's not enough. That it wouldn't even change anything. It's not even because uh, over... <coughs> I think over uh, what was it? I think they said over uh, forty, oh, no, over sixty percent of our emissions doesn't even come from us. It comes from underwater volcanoes. Yeah, and so when you look, and the other thing I also say to link this, what you're saying is, you know, they do it in medical health and they do it in mental health, and I, I'm fucking getting tired of it. Frankly, is they'll come up with a diagnosis, whether it's medical or mental, right? And what they'll do is they'll group a bunch of shit together to where go, okay, this happens, and then this kind of happens, and here's a time frame. We'll give a circle around it, and we'll call it bipolar six, <laughs> which they've done, by the way. Right. Wait till the next DSM comes out. It's not just bipolar one, two, and three anymore, right? You're going to see bipolar one through eight as an actual mental health diagnosis. It's coming. Right, so medical does the same thing. They pull some shit together. They put a label on it and go, "That's what that is." So global warming, maybe yes, it's happening. It's just a natural occurrence, possibly. Right, we're all sort of learning. Maybe it is, but just because you put a wrap a bow on it and title it something and go, "Well, this is what it is," doesn't mean it's a thing or it's a something. It's it could just be this natural thing that's happening. Right. Well, how the fuck do we get on global warming? We got deep. In based, just, just based on the idea of people thinking that they know something, and it's and it's and it's counterfeit wisdom. Uh, and that's and that was really my key is that they think they know so much, and it's just counterfeit wisdom. They, we haven't been on this planet enough to be able to know how to dissect or even analyze it. So just you know, nature's going oh, the the world and the galaxy. We don't even know if if just our galaxy goes through a heat flare. Yeah, right, to even think, because now that we know that there's galaxies within galaxies within multiverse within stars, right, we know this, so what if our little section is just kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, just just being in a little spot of heat. Dude, we could sit here and ask questions all fucking night, bro. And you know what? 
I'm I'm all right with it. Because these are the frequencies that I like to speak on. Um, I I think you said that today, too. You said, well, we're made of 80% water, so the vibrations that we send back and forth to one another with the words that we speak, Mm -hmm. I think you called it speaking something into someone's life. Yeah, you you, you definitely, like the words that you speak, man, you speak into people's life. The same way how they've done that study on um, you had you had two you had two containers of of uh, of rice and you'll speak positive affirmations into one and you'll speak negative into another. The one that you spoke positive affirmations into white the, the rice stayed white and clear and the one that you didn't it built algae and it started rotten and it was brown and Wait, you racist too, bro. You got uh, a problem with brown rice, dog? <laughs> Racist. I think I'm. I think I'm probably the brownest right <laughs> in the room. <laughs> but the reality, the reality is, is, is the fact that what we don't know is, is what we're not aware of, is that you can speak things into existence and you can speak energy into things. If you and if you have a plant, like if people really want to have the wheat plants grow good and very well. Speak positive affirmations into it and talk to it and rub it and touch it and sing to it and oh, let I music do. go to it. I do. And guess what that and because energy can neither be made nor destroyed, only transferred or converted. So if you keep pouring energy, if you keep pouring positive energy into something, it's gonna be great. It has no choice. You've only fed it positive energy. And whatever you speak negative energy into, it's gonna like you're sabotaging its development, you're sabotaging its growth. Because all you're speaking is negative energy into it and it's going to die itself out because it it decided to receive the negative energy that you fed into it. Yeah. It's a, well, I mean, it gives off. Right. You know, I'll ask you the last question, man, that I usually ask people. What's your life philosophy? My life philosophy. It's a lot to it. Um, if I If I had to put it, if I had to try to just simplify it all you can make a paragraph make it 10 books i don't care all right um my life philosophy is your purpose in life is to develop the gift that you've been given and serve and do your part to build heaven on earth i know it seems generic but we all have different gifts and we all have a purpose because god doesn't make encores and if he doesn't make encores then that means he's not he's not expecting to make something else um, to fill in for you if you don't do your job. Mm. So if our job is to really just to go out here and love everybody, because obviously if God is love, then when you serve God, and I'm using the play with words and it's literal as well. If you serve God, and if you and to serve God, if you serve love to people, and you constantly uh, serving love to people, then there would be no more hate because you would understand, submit and obey everybody. And once you understand, submit and obey everybody, you won't fear them because you understand them. And then you will love yourself enough to know how to not put yourself in situations for when people have weak moments, you'll know what they're weak in and you won't have those issues. So first love yourself physically because you have physical health. Then that will, enhance the capacity of you to understand things on the mental health and then you will tune yourself into the spiritual realm to where you know that the most high is in control of all things and he's sovereign so he only allowed things to happen because you put yourself in these situations 
So um, as far as a huge philosophy is to build heaven on earth using the gifts that God has been given to you. And once you complete that, then you'll go on to the next grade or the next mission. And sometimes it may be spiritual and other times it may be physical. But you always get the physical plane of what happens in the mental plane and what happens in the spiritual plane. That's why in his, that's why in the Lord's prayer, he says, our father who has I mean, who, uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's going to be done on the physical plane of what's done in the in the, in the spiritual plane. So. Um, so is that the same advice that you would give the young you? The young me wouldn't have been able to process that. All right. So what advice would you give the <laughs> nine-year-old you or any nine-year-old out there? Maybe that may be, I don't know, sitting where you came from. Um, don't focus on the distractions. Everything is a distraction. So what if your mom and dad don't know how to love you or don't have the love language that you are expecting for them to show you? Um, it's okay. Um, don't, like, don't let that be a distraction. So what if you don't have school clothes? It's, it's a distraction. So what if you don't have uh, lunch, uh, lunch money? It's, it's still a distraction. Um, so what if you get more love from the streets than you do at home? It's just a distraction and it's temporary. Everything that you like, don't stress it. It's only temporary. Focus on what you want to do in life. So whatever your goal is, don't let anything distract you from it. When LeBron James shoots his free throws or shoot the game winning shot, the crowd doesn't matter. The environment that he's currently in doesn't matter. The basketball, to, the basketball uh, uh, court doesn't matter. He does. It doesn't matter if it was a piston sign on the other end. It doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is that he makes his shot, and he constantly prepares himself so that he can make that shot. So just keep preparing yourself. You're gonna go some days. You're gonna have some hard times. It's gonna make you stronger. But when it's all said and done, your job is to make sure that you're prepared. So that every time you make a shot is going to lead you to the next game. And this game that we call life is all about making sure that you prepare yourself for the next shot. So don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You survived so many other things already. You'll make it through this. It's only temporary. Brother, where can people find you, man? Oh, man. Uh, you can find me. You can find me on uh, on Instagram. Big Mike, the messenger. Um, on Facebook, uh, Michael Williams, I got two pages. One is where I just, I just keep a lot of close personal friends. And on the other one, it's more like a page for the Bee Berry program. And, to, and Bee Berry is, it's a, it's a program. Where it's What's it called? Of, of the Bee Berry program. So Bee Berry? Bee Berry. So B-E-R-R-Y or? So B-E, B-E-R-R-Y. Okay. Or B, B-E-R-R-Y. Okay. And the purpose is, if you look at a blueberry, the blueberry is the most potent antioxidant fruit that we have on the planet. But yet it's so small, right? And the color blue is for healing, and also the color blue is for communication and connection. And then... That's why every social media site is blue and white, by the way. <laughs> right. And, and then not only that, but uh, holistically, the circle... Dating sites, too. <laughs> so and, and it's round, right? Mm -hmm. So round means holistic and means complete. So it's a complete fruit all in itself. And to be berry is really a play with words, but it's to be happy, to be healthy, um, to be smart, everything positive. So it's really it's really a lifestyle. So when you start living a lifestyle of of knowing how to be happy, how to love yourself, how to be complete, how to how to feed yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically. 
and how to just have like you want to pick your friends like you pick your fruit. So you never, so you never, so you never eat berries and smoke cigarettes. You never eat berries and drink. You know, you you never really put those two together. And if you do, that's it, Smirnoff. Or some nasty ass <laughs> shit like that. Some nasty shit. Yeah, and 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 but the, the the goal is really just to make sure that you understand that you can heal yourself. So you just have to make sure that the so bee berry is really um, the color of healing on all three levels: the holistic level, mind, body, and spirit. So so at bee berry on Facebook. So uh, well, you, it's uh, it's Michael S. Williams, and my page is uh, bee berry. Uh, well, I have a fan page which is bee berry. Um, but yeah, so and uh, and I'll I'll uh, I'll make sure I add you on onto both pages and. Well, you gotta sure. share this. You gotta share the podcast, man. After you do this and repost it, tweet it, comment that kind of stuff. Oh man, I'm all over that. You just let me know when, uh, and I'm too. I'll put it on both pages, and you'll come back and do it again. Man, I'll do this. I, this is fun. I didn't even know it's been two hours that went by. Two hours and thirty two minutes. Yeah, see, this is impressive. Oh man, we, hey, I've gone. I did six hours podcasting last Saturday. Six hours. Six hours straight. I had, um, well, about a little less, a little less, because I had Eric Kimmer and Brooke Kimmer. Um, they own a part runners and stuff, facility, recovery facility, actually, who I'm about to read an ad for. Um, <clears throat> they were up here, um, and we did uh, probably two hours, 50 minutes. And then right after they left, not 10 minutes later, Dr. Parker Mott, my, who I call the backcountry psychologist, shows up. <laughs> and then him and I do another two hours and 50 minutes or something, man. That was back to back, dude. So, I mean, yeah. So this is going. I could do a whole other podcast, man. <laughs> you get me going, man. Once I got the coffee going, I'm sitting. I mean, it's hard to leave the cave, right? Right. Oh man. But you'll do it again. So I appreciate that, man. And um, and, you know, everybody out there, uh, look up B Berry for sure. Any shout outs? Yeah. Any love you want to give somebody? Oh man, uh, Orange County Public Schools have been amazing. Um, Ebor City Hillsborough Community College. I really love them. They definitely, they definitely show a lot of love out there, and they let me know what definitely needs to be helped. And so, you know, I always, always just make sure I show the people who really support me a lot of love. And you know, they just one of my biggest fans. So they give me concern. Like, I love constructive criticism because if I don't, if 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 I don't know what mistakes I'm making, then how can I, how can I grow? That's what I say. How, how can someone fix what they don't know is broken? Yeah, and uh, and you know, just uh. Just, just to all the teachers, man. Teachers, I know y'all are putting up with so much, and I really appreciate you. And I know you keep asking me why don't I be a teacher. I don't, you know, I'm not doing it. I feel like it's my job to make sure I teach people about life. So I can't teach, I can't teach somebody about life in one area. I can just go to each school and talk about life and personal development. And I feel like I do a pretty good job at making sure I present it to the point where it's something that they can constantly think about throughout life, to where. I don't have to sit in the classroom for 180 days consecutively and do it. Mm, I agree. Cause change happens in the now dude. We're going to, if we keep talking, you know, we're going to go off for another 30 minutes, <laughs> but we'll do this again, man. I, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, like, dude, we just fucking met like literally this podcast was you and I meeting. Yes. But g- given our 30, 40 minute conversation on the phone. And I'm like, you want to have a pod, dude? I want to talk to you. Please come do a podcast. And you're like, oh fuck yeah, sure. I'll come to your house, and I don't know you. You don't know me. And come on in this cave, and let's hang out, man. Yeah, pretty fly cave too, man. I like it. Oh man, it's my sanctuary. Nice carpet, you know. Just a good chair. I'm just. I feel like I'm comfortable in here, man. It's, and, that's what it's about, man. Being in the cave is comfortable. See, that's why I like doing podcasts in here. Is that's why I tell you I get to know people. 
yeah. you know, get to hang with them. But man, uh, again, thanks for doing the, the podcast, man. And uh, we'll we'll do it again soon. Well, look, man, thank you for the interview, man. You you make it seem so homely in here. Like I feel like feel like we on the sofa just having a conversation. This is it's look, man. You produce you produce this, so you produce with the right questions. You know how to come back. So I'm only a product of the environment that I'm currently in. Well, I'm going to pat you on the butt right back and say that, uh, well, this show or this podcast is only as good as the person sitting in that chair. Uh, not me. I'm the guy that's kind of sits over here and goes, holy shit, that's cool. That's, <laughs> that's really what I do. I mean, th- this, this was you, man. And um, again, thank you. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. We'll, we'll, do, we'll definitely do it again. All right, brother. <laughs>